No, 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 no! Ah! Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coco Talk, episode 289. Today is Nick Parenti's Jumping Joey launch party. Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Because Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world. Hello, everybody. And how many could hear the sirens out there? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. That's why you didn't sirens. do the voiceover. You were going to get drowned out. Oh, I did do the voiceover. Yeah, it just didn't go to Zoom. It went yeah. Oh, just, okay. Okay. Yeah, because if I turn it on on Zoom, we end up with the with the loop. Ah, gotcha. So uh, I think anyway, we end up with a loop. Okay, let's see who was foolish enough to join us today. <laughs> uh, uh, lower right-hand corner, we have the man from down under, Nick Morentes. Oh, I'm first today. Good day, everyone. You're first today. <laughs> uh, next up, we got David Ladd. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy this episode because it's going to be a creep of a time. And Boy, sorry. <laughs> next over, we got Alan, Exile in Paradise. Wait, this isn't the DMV? Hold on. Where am I? <laughs> howdy, howdy. Are you asking to take a number? You're on a, you're on a peninsula on that line between north and south. Ah, okay. That's the Twilight Zone, isn't it? <laughs> and last on the bottom row, the man with the can, Coco Man, Jason. I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper, and I'm ready to go. Oh, good. Diet Dr. Pepper level confirmed. <laughs> Ooh, yes. We are good for Dr. Pepper. And, okay. Next over, Terry Steggy. Hey, everybody. Welcome. And welcome back to the show. Welcome well, back. Good to see you here, Terry. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. <laughs> yeah, let's see. We'll ask Rob? you again in five minutes. 
Next up, Rondel Vo. Hey, I've got my diet water here, and I'm doing fine. <laughs> On the other half of the David Lad. Ah. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Next up, Bell Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. We're going to have a hopping good time. Oh, wait, I mean jumping good time today. Mm. And we're thankful. All right, uh, next up, Grant Leedy. Hey, everybody. Nice to see you guys. So... At least you're not in town, so I'm safe for another day. <laughs> right? Wherever you are means there's no tornado where I'm at. Yeah, everybody's up, right. in, up Everybody's up in New York right now chasing the uh, six feet of snow up there in Buffalo. So, yeah, that's nothing. And they're welcome to it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Top row, right-hand corner. Yours truly. How you doing? Uh, next up, uh, Rick Uland. Howdy, folks. Howdy. Okay. And with the game on challenge, Sloopy. Greetings and sanitations. I also have my <laughs> diet uh, water and I'm ready to go. Ah, it looks like you need a refill. And last but not least, Marco. Hey, glad <laughs> to be here. And I'm last. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I decided to flip it up this time. <laughs> Flip it up, mind. flip it over, whatever. That's what happens uh, when you start with an Australian. Mm-hmm. Everything's <laughs> all upside down. And howdy to everyone who showed up in the chat. Look at this. Well, and let's see. Oh, like wow. Okay. List. We got what? Kevin Holloway, Tom Eric Gunderson. Buck Owens. Yeah. There's this Can Can Make It guy. Oh, no. Uh, Jim Rye. In 6IL. OG. Whatever happened to Samuel Gimes? Uh, OG Hugo, Wayland, Brian Wall, that Gimes guy, Flaky, Gimes guy. You think I so? Oh. I think he's hiding in a bunker somewhere. I think he's okay. creating an entire album for you, Ron. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm anxiously waiting. He's <laughs> <laughs> like sit, sitting around waiting for inspiration. Oh, please, oh, please, can we have one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. That Obviously, Ron is drunk sorry. today. Oh, please. So convincing. Mark Siegel, <laughs> howdy, howdy. You, you hey, don't know what's in my diet water, do you? Howdy, howdy. Tim, It's <laughs> vodka? Just, just yeah, let's see. Is Frank? Lots of people in chat, so thanks thanks for joining us, guys and, and gals. Mine was white rum. That's why it's almost empty. Wasn't that a song in the white room? Let's see. First up, uh, I think we're going to go into the game on results today. Yep. Now, we should mention uh, Ken, Canadian Retro Things, is not here because he his internet went down earlier in the week, from what I understand, and it was supposed to be fixed yesterday, but didn't. <laughs> Damn squirrels. So. <laughs> is that because he lives in that log cabin? No, he's back in uh, B.C. again, so. Oh. He should have been in the back cabin. The yeah. <laughs> he at least had internet in the cabin. As primitive and slow as it was. Cabin net was better than what he's had this week. Oh. I wish that thing wouldn't pop up and go over top of all the screens, but okay. Uh, First oh, world problems. This button right here. This is the one we need.
Welcome to the Coco Talk Game On Challenge. Not live. Sorry, it's what I'm used to. This week we played the 141st edition of the Coco Talk Game On Challenge, where we played Stinger. And we played with 16 pilots. In 16th place, Exile in Paradise, zero. What? 15th place, <laughs> Ron Delvo with 30. I thought I was in first. 14th place, you know, last. Damon Beals with 11.26. 13th place, Mark B with 11.74. 12th place, Jim Ryan. Yeah, I'm not last. 12.22. 11th place, Paul Shoemaker with 14.56. 10th place, Bloopy Malibu, late as usual. With 1550. Ninth place, <laughs> Sabhead with 1696. Eighth place, Shenley with 1860. Seventh place, Justin Larson with 2068. Sixth place, Rich N with 2406. Fifth place, Brian Walsh with 2942. Fourth place, Mr. Dave 6309 with 3,194. And the top three and third place, Asman with 3,202. Second place, Buck Owens with 3,776. And the number one player this week is the man, Me. Myth, the legend himself. Oh. David Ladd with 4,086. Ooh, playing. great job. Join us next week when we'll be playing something new. <laughs> something old. Something else. My score was actually three. Something blue? 350 uh, or something, not 30. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to follow well Grievance with the uh, Academy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we should mention for for the game Stinger, um, it was discovered that there was a bug in the version that's on the archive. I don't know if it's in the original or not. I don't have the original to compare with, but uh, basically the game just stopped after a little three. I understand, and I think Mr. Dave patched it to fix that. Is that correct? I have no idea. I didn't Mr. get that Dave far. Patched it, um, and apparently the cassette version had the same bug, so it wasn't just like a move to disc thing or something. But uh, yeah, he he got all crazy with the hex editor and found where the level was supposed to be stored, and figured out the one branch that needed to be changed, poked it, and it worked. And uh, in the Game On Challenge Discord this week, you kind of get the the blow by blow description of wait, what's it doing? Why can't anyone get past three? Oh, look at this, blah blah. blah. So it was kind of <laughs> cool to watch. And then he kept putting in all these weird little patches with poke numbers and stuff. So, it's, yeah, I know he did the Coco 3 RGB palette swaps and stuff too, to which we'll probably see in the live game play footage or you know, some of David's maybe. But yeah, oh. it was kind of interesting. This has happened a few times before where you know, a bug's been found, like Grabber had a problem, it wouldn't run on a six or a nine. So, a bunch of us went together and tried to figure out what the heck was going on and patched it on the fly during the week. So, we're, we're 40 years after the fact, debugging other people's programs, awesome. I never hit the bug. It wasn't an issue for me. <laughs> my, my programs don't have bugs. 
Yeah, what pug? Just jumpy screens. <laughs> Mind you, that fits with the jumping Joey theme, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when something stops like that. Uh, it doesn't matter how much you hit the computer; it, it doesn't continue. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike old TV, you know, when the channel was wacky and bad at once, and oh, there, there it is. Oh. So is this the bug that happens? Because this is as far as I got before I fell asleep. Yes. That's, it, that's it where it is. Level three. Okay. Cool. So and when you change see. the branch, so the for the programmer types out there, there was a signed branch test instead of an unsigned branch test. And once ah. you change the BLT to BLO, the levels will flow. That that is a bug I've done multiple times myself, more than I'd care to admit. Uh, yeah. So would you get you get rid of the tomato and put the orange in? <laughs> no, BLT. Now, I, now I want a BLT. Mmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, for anybody on the panel here that has played the game, like I didn't get the chance to play it this week, but I have played it in the past. Um, as far as I know, it's an original game. It's got some themes that are from a couple others it's kind of got the star castle rotating shield type thing and then it's got the kind of dodge him or whatever the other name of the other game that's kind of a clone of it is um where you're collecting the dots and switching between tracks yeah slot racing games but definitely rethemed. oh you mean like dodge them yeah like i, I didn't I mention that <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a dodge em star castle mixture type thing it's dodging for the gameplay appearance of star castle style yeah, all I have to say is after level four, it's evil. It cheats. <laughs> the things go through the walls, and yet you can't. It's irritating. I think I you're kinda, the only one who got that far, David. <laughs> I kind of like the David Ladd version, though, that it was a floppy disk. You either had the defrag or uh, fix the uh, stray uh, fluxes. <laughs> when, when your little guy got in the center, <laughs> there was very little room for it to come out of that little hole. It was easiest to play if you did like a drive and head to the middle first. So when you start speeding up, you're on them big long tracks. <laughs> yeah, instead of trying to jump around those. Yeah, I remember that from when I played it. I know I, I like I remember I played it back in the in years few years back and I didn't I didn't get great at it. I obviously didn't hit the level three bug. Um, but it it was a fun game for me. It was a, it was a nice combination of a couple of arcade classics into a basically an original style of game. It made more sense when I start drinking my diet water. <laughs> so other than patching it, is there any other tips and tricks that people have? <laughs> um, usually I found for me, um, if you needed to move faster on the outside, move all the way to the inside, get to the approp appro approximate um angle that you wanted to be on the outside then move back out because you obviously move faster on the inner ring than on the outer ring what do you say is he talking <laughs> floppies again is he coco man figured it out mm -hmm. i don't know i found that the, the speeds of everything were unpredictable you know the enemies and your in yourself kept varying a lot well, it depended on how many thingies were on the screen. Yeah, because it's like Space Invaders. The more of the things you've collected, 
in the case of Space Invaders, you shot the faster everything else gets, right? I remember? Probably because I had less to keep up with so it could process faster. That's what I'm figuring. I thought it was uh, a lot better than um, some games, you know, usually up and down, left and right. This was circle. Kind of fun. A little different. Now, the, the controls were a bit different from what I remember, and I think you guys commented on it. I, I caught a little brief part of the stream there, but isn't it you move the joystick left to go in the ring and right to go out or something like that, no matter where on the circle you are, so it's not quite intuitive? Yeah. It's it's relative to the uh, to the player on the screen. So left goes in the ring and right goes out the ring. So no matter where you are, looking over top, you have to think of yourself as in in the player on the screen. Okay. Yeah. So, for example, if you got a hole and you're at the top of the screen, your intuition would be move it down to go down through the hole, but you actually have to right. move it left to right to. You, you have to have played one of those old top-down racing games. At yeah. The <laughs> but actually, if you just start playing the game, you figure it out pretty quick. Yeah, because no, nothing's happening if you're moving it in different directions. <laughs> or if you've driven around a uh, the beltway around any uh, large city, I mean, yeah. east and west, they're they're marked east and west, even though they go north and south in some places. Right, Washington D.C. has a big one. So, so for the UC on the panel that actually did did play it as as part of the challenge, then did you guys take a while to get used to the controls, or was that fairly you know five minutes I got it down, or a minute or two and you got it down? Because I mean, you have to remember is that I mean, especially people who've been playing a lot of overhead racers, um, you get used to it real quick. Okay, I think it would have been really neat if we'd had a cockpit view. Oh, the, yeah. So that you're first, flying around and make make it like you're person. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But then you can't see where anything else is in the maze. You'd be dying a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and quick reactions. The microscopic be, map in the corner of the screen. Yeah, that would make it a uh, driving simulator. Yeah. So what did what did you guys think of the game? Like I liked it back when I played it back in the day. I thought it was kind of a neat cross assembly of a couple different games into mm -hmm. a, a unique product that was actually fun and, and fairly original in that combination what did you guys think or am i blowing it too high i actually liked it i mean i think it's 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 a decent game with an okay implementation i mean as david said it does have some uh, collision detection issues but overall it's a really good game and it's a really nice concept what's the name of the game again stinger stinger and how does that fit into the circle and things well, it's supposed because to be a beehive, and it's a head bee, yeah. queen bee in the center, and it's all the little worker bee drones or whatever that are flying around. Yeah, I don't know. Get your premise where you can. <laughs> I, yeah. I would have named it something else. But is it in space? But it also kind of, kind of reminds me of Adam as well, which is yeah. why it was very easy for me to acclimate to the controls because Adam, you got to move either direction and then you went in and out and stuff to move the 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 atoms and stuff around to make yeah. molecules yeah but in this case it was you just used one direction to move in and out and that wasn't that big of a deal yeah i'm, I'm trying to remember like it's it's been so long since i played it but i do remember the controls caught me a little off guard too and i can't remember the reason i never got to level three to see the, the bug was because i just wasn't acclimated to the controls yet or if i just didn't play long enough to to push it that far 
you didn't play enough uh, driving games. <laughs> one, one thing I will have to track though is I I had a copy of this like years and years ago, uh, way before the Color Computer Archive had, and I wonder if mine has that bug too. It's not a legal copy, unfortunately, but uh, it's it's possible I might have a version that doesn't have that bug unless that bug was in the game the whole time. Well, for me, the other thing too is with the joystick. If 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 you get uh, where you don't like the left and right, you can always turn the joystick so that way you're just pushing <laughs> forward and back. Yeah. Do you think it would be a game playable since it only uses one axis? Would that be a decent game for a paddle? Uh, probably not because a paddle would would be for like moving a a linear uh, bar. Yeah, in right. This because case, you have to jump just, the whole paddle all the way one side to the other. Yeah, you're right. Right. And in this case, it would probably be a simple two-button game like in, out. You know, so you can make a, a digital stick that's just in, out. You know, this would be one of those games that if you had it in the arcade, it'd just be a two-button game. Okay. So now we need a three-button game since we've already had a one-button game and now a two-button game with no other controls. So mm. the, the, uh, well, the, the Halloween game was a one-button game. Yep. Well, the, next the week's game does, uh, does fit the button theme. Has anybody ever... Uh, put together a list of all the different hacker people that put put their name on the software and said that they cracked it, you know? <laughs> there was actually, ironically enough, there was a guy who contacted me by email from my game site probably four or five years ago that actually was asking for all the Coco hackers because he wanted to compile a list for all the various 8-bit micros out, you know, all the different hacker teams and stuff. Yeah, And I, I, I pointed to him a few screenshots on my site that had a few of them there, but I, I don't have a list per se. Did, did he by chance work for this place called uh, FBI? No. Nope. <laughs> no, otherwise always, I'm sure I would have gotten a letter or something. <laughs> I always thought it was cool to, to see the hacker put his, you know, that he's real happy or proud that he busted the game for everybody to play. I mean, but, I did know. a little bit of that myself back in the day. I don't remember what all my hacker so what was your name were but i, I as, as once i started doing the the, the game site itself there i kind of regretted it because i want to give credit to the original authors that you know took all the time to write the game so uh, there's a few dicom games for example i've actually reversed it back to the original one because i happen to have the original disc but it's heavily copy protected rather than having to re-break it from scratch i just took the pirated one and then just changed the you know the load screen and something and also a shout out to uh, Ken, Canadian Retro Things in the audience. Oh, you is he uh, slumming it with a phone or is he at Burger King at the free Wi-Fi or what's he doing? I think he might <laughs> be at the coffee shop. I hope I'm not uh, messing up your uh, game on uh, too bad. <laughs> Dude, yeah, because Ken wasn't even able to make it to the, the live show for the game on challenge either because of his internet problems, right? Right, that's correct. Yeah, I'm guessing uh, probably the attendance probably wasn't that good because Ken wasn't there to you know to bring the people in. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, they're all there to see Ken, not me. And I was busy hunting down a uh, Nitrous 9 EOU bug that I thought I'd already fixed. And turned out that I didn't, but I did find it. So still hoping I'm going to be on schedule for release by December 1st. You can do it. I have faith in you. Well, right now I'm waiting for some other people to get some stuff here. So um, there's a few people and a couple of things I'm just waiting for some final testing on. Shoot, that's next week. 
Don't scare me like that. <laughs> there you go. Any other tips and tricks for the game here or any other comments on Stinger? Don't die. Nick, have you ever tried the one before back in the day? You're a game nah, designer. I thought nah. I was wondering what you thought of the game. No, I've never seen that game. Oh, okay. It's an earlier one. It came out in 82, so it's uh, you know fairly yeah, early on, even before the Coco 2 was released by a year. I wasn't around then. <laughs> You're too young. <laughs> well, if there's no other further comments on that game, um, thank you, Sloopy, for hosting the game on Challenge Solo this oh. past week and also for hosting the actual segment today. Mm -hmm. and, well, you did uh, the hosting. I just stood here and was a wallflower. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody has to be pretty on the show. It sure as hell ain't me. Ain't me either. But, but right I, I believe that you school. said because Ken was not able to select a game because he didn't have internet here, I believe you have uh, picked up the reins here and you've got a game. You said you've been waiting for two years to get on the challenge. Yeah. Wow. No, actually, I I was joking when I said I wanted to play Spectaculator. Darn. I had actually had a chance of getting a good better, score on that one. Better be yeah. a good one. So let me uh, share my screen here. Pretty ominous, Ron. As you can see. <laughs> and oh nothing now let's fix that oh we're playing windows desktop this week everyone windows desktop <laughs> yeah. I, I have that game there wait no i don't and it's Nick, Nick has a better trash and can the game is panic button oh that's the one actually we just had a video on last week that's yeah. a good choice yeah i figured it was fitting and i mean one button two button panic button it <laughs> goes together this is a cool game. It was originally released in 1983 by uh, First Star Software, I believe it was. And yes. uh, then Tandy liked it so much, they ended up picking up the rights. I don't know if Mark was involved with that or not. And they ended up selling it as a cartridge two years later. So it actually got into Radio Shack stores. One of the rare ones that uh, was sold beforehand. Yes, which um, reminds me, um, there's several reasons why this is being chosen. Uh, and one of them is because this coming Thursday, is evidently a holiday in the United States, um, which I think is like Thanksgiving or something. You know, that October. Oh, that's holiday. right. Yeah, you guys do it way late when we were there covered in snow. That's why we do hours early. Yeah. So this Thursday, there will not be a Game on Challenge Live. Um, no. So instead of uh, coming on and uh, playing, you can just hit your panic button and say, I need my live game on challenge so now would you consider doing a reschedule in case people do want to participate live together like say wednesday night or something or or um, available i won't be here wednesday evening and okay. i won't be here until late thursday night and i mean i guess I would, if ken gets his internet back by then maybe he could give it a shot but if he can't i mean that's yeah you guys can do so so oh, and i don't want to I don't want to smack my minion around and make demands of him and tell him he has to be here Thursday night. So, my minion, you're talking about Ken? No, I'm talking about Jim <laughs> Rye. I'm I'm Ken's minion. <laughs> Jim Rye's my minion. Glad I mean, you know we you know, have a hierarchy here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we you know how it go, it flows downhill. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we do it yeah, the, the bottom. Way yeah, you just do it the, the same same way as all those. 
there's I don't want to sit. Yeah, well, just don't do it the old fashioned Nick Morandi's way where you just Photoshop your scores. That's being lazy. Yeah. Yeah. And all those people that that aren't cool enough to come on the show. (laughs) Now, for those that have never played Panic Button before, Sloopy, I'm assuming you have. No, I actually have not. Oh, okay. Has anybody else on the panel played it before? I can't say I've ever seen it. Nobody. Wow. I've I've seen a video of it played. Because we should explain the premise of the game because it may not be completely obvious. Uh, I figured the the name is self explanatory. (laughs) (laughs) Well, basically, what you're doing is you're on an assembly line, and you've got a timer, and you've got a specific number of orders to build things to put together. So you get everything; it comes in chunks, um, and they're always in sets of three. That you have to lay on top of each other to build it. Like you can see on the upper right screenshot there, you can see a robot, you can see a pie or a cake. And I can't remember what that third shape is, a mm. telephone booth or something. But basically, you get a head, the arms, and the legs on the first one, for example. And they come in random order and they get dropped from these chutes, which you can see in the lower right screenshot. So you have to run around, pick up the pieces, and put them in the right order, then get them onto the very bottom of the screen to be completed. You've got a couple little holding areas, um, which are the little flat platforms you can put stuff on to store it temporarily but you got these conveyor belts so once they come out the chutes they're moving so you have to like kind of run around and move them at the same time and put them in and if you have too many robots built wrong or you run out of time you die type thing you get fired actually um so it's it's it, it is a panic button thing now there's a panic button you can see in the lower right screenshot up in the upper right corner so if things are just getting too hectic for you you can run up there and press the button and that stops all the conveyors for a few seconds you can c- try to kind of like gather everything back up and get back to it, but it gets faster and faster. You have to get more and more done. It starts coming out in terrible order where you might get like six sets of legs and then one head and then no torsos for a while or something like that. So it's, it gets to be quite challenging. I mean, this is my uh, life from eight to five Monday through Friday. (laughs) You should do great on this one then, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You should be a natural. Yeah. Yeah. I'm predicting high score by Mark Bosley this week. Holy cow. Yeah. He has real world experience. <laughs> you know how they're always asking uh, for uh, 15 years experience for something that's only been around for five or 10. Yeah. Now this game ramps up the difficulty fairly quickly. Um, so I don't think we need to start. Like you can see in the upper right corner, there's, you can pick a start level one, three or seven. Yep. Um, I think we should just start on one because it, it, <clears throat> it ramps up pretty fast. So it's not like you'll be, hanging around does, that, does anyone have the cartridge to show what it looks like i not do yet. but it's not at a place i can get to at the moment it's kind of a purplish is it terry steggy i'm pretty sure has it he's he's got almost as much stuff as brian weasler i think yeah and um i agree with exile in paradise it reminds me of the old uh uh episode of uh Lucy, where her and uh, yeah, her friend are uh, doing the assembly line with the chocolates, and she starts eating them because she's not getting it done in time. It's like that Benjamin or whatever the I Love Lucy show did. Yeah, yeah, veggie, veggie, vitamin. Yeah. So, all right, anyway, that's a good. That's a good choice. It's an original game, as far as I know. I don't think that's an, a cross-platform game. There it is. Else. There it is. Zoom them up. Mr. Mark. Uh, oh, hang on. Damn Zoom. There we go. Big smile there, Terry. Big smile. 
Oh, break the camera. <laughs> Pull around here. Big smile and. Now, if anybody's a real collector, if you actually have the original disc or tape version back when it was an independent, I would love to see that. I've never seen that. I've only seen the Tandy one. But I do remember that, the ads. Uh, Terry, what's that machine on, on your left? What am I seeing there? Oh, the robot? This guy here? That's no. my SX. Yeah, that. What is it? It's a 1000 SX. Oh, okay. Oh. I want to know why he has a halo of Sega. <laughs> That was my first video game, uh, other than the Coco. So, <laughs> not so bad. Anyway, it's a good game. Um, I have had a lot of fun with it. I'm going to try to make it onto the Game On Challenge this week myself. So, I will try to participate in that one. Uh, Coco 1 and 2 required. I think it only needs the cartridge version, only needs 16K. It probably needs 32K for uh, playing off disc or the SDC. Uh, single button joystick, artifact colors. I mean, I'm sure Mr. Dave can patch it for the Coco 3 RGB because it's one of the pure artifact color ones, so it should actually translate quite well with the patch. Wow. So expect that. Wow, I'm impressed. When you use uh, the L. Curtis Boyle website for games, L. Curtis Boyle himself comes on and uh, does it for you. Yeah, I just read verbatim what I wrote on my site because I don't remember anything. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to do, so... <laughs> No, I chimed into this one because this is actually a game I, I do like, and I have played it quite a bit. Not recently, but I, I used to play it quite a bit back in the day. Yeah, it was uh, it, basically it was. Uh, I was looking at a couple possibilities, and uh, this was recommended to me. And when I read it, it it seemed to fit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's there's not going to be an official um, game on challenge this week, but maybe Monday or Tuesday night if. Uh, enough people are in the discord and just playing maybe we'll do an impromptu uh um game on challenge live depends on how it goes and how many people are around yeah i mean if ken gets uh, his internet back we could try doing one too so yeah and there's also friday um you better take that up with ken <laughs> What did, did I mean? I, I, I'm, I'm, since I don't live in the states, I'm trying to recall here. Like, I know some of my clients that are in the states. They actually take the whole four days off for Thanksgiving. Is that fairly common, or do most people take the Thursday, then work Friday, then come back? Well, usually Friday's off. Yeah, usually Friday is off, depending unless you like work in retail or something. Then you'll usually have to come in, and you'll work you, your ass off that day. Yeah, you work <laughs> your ass Black off. Friday, right? <laughs> and yeah. some some companies are actually open Thanksgiving evening. Okay. I personally will Some not restaurants. Work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I personally won't work usually around that time because there's another holiday that coincides with it. So, but, um, yeah, it's, it's most like business offices and such are closed to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But if you work retail or something like, or like a service industry, yeah, you'll be busier than ever yeah, all weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, no, I was just wondering because, like I said, some of my clients actually take the full, whole four days off. One does not, so I didn't know how common it was for other industries. Yeah. So. Okay, well, thank you very much, Sleepy. And uh, good, good pick. Uh, that's a game I do like. Yeah. I will try my darndest to get on it. This game has a good attract mode. Yeah, <laughs> it's got a whole bunch of things flying around the screen, so it's it's not a boring like here's a title screen, here's a high score screen type thing. It's well <laughs> animated. Yeah. So, 
And back to you, Mark B. Oh, gee. <clears throat> All righty. Uh, I guess we'll go on to the game on news and then we can have the big yep. reveal. Or do you want an ad commercial first? Um, yeah, we could run the PSA first. Okay. That'll give me a chance to refill my coffee because I did finish. Okay. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original colored computer, the Coco 3, and the world renowned exclusive French Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Grant B., Henry Strickland, Jay Style, Justin Larson, Ken Reichert, Malfunct, Melly, Mike Rayburn, OG Hugo, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Terry Steen, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons. time for everyone's favorite segment who's new to discord this week daggerath says i know i know daggerath an all too common name in the tandy crowd right anyways my name is ben v my dad bought a coco 2 floppy drive multi-pack touch book and tape drive i played dungeons of daggerath typically at least once a year i asked my dad if he still had all the coco stuff and he did I have it now and cleaning it up. I did buy a Coco 3 so I could have the added benefits of the extra RAM and such. I found this place just with a Google search for Tandy Coco Discord. The previous bios were edited for time, thanks to Coco Man, Boys in Tech, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Nightbeard, Glenside Computer Club and the Coco Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.cocotalk.live. See y'all on Discord! Welcome back, everyone. So we actually, our theme for the today's show is a brand new game release by none other than Nick Morantes, who's actually awake at this early hour in Australia. Because, of course, he is. He has to make some money to buy some more cars. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so with a, oh, a little sure. fanfare, we'll let Nick talk about it. But uh, this is this is the new product. Okay, yeah. My latest game is finally out. Jumping Joey. And uh, I think we covered most of this uh, last week, actually. But for those uh, who don't know about it, Jumping Joey started out as a frogger. 
It was meant to be a, a, a version of Frogger for the Coco. It was only is going to be a little 16k game, going to work on all Cocos. But as as it always as always happens, uh, feature creep gets in. You start adding things, you start changing things, and uh, before you know it, it becomes a slightly different game. It's still very much a Frogger, uh, but I got rid of the frog. And uh, I put a kangaroo in there, thanks to Ken Waters' suggestion. Uh, I like the idea of maybe we can bring Frogger down down under and uh, give it a bit of an Australian theme. So the frog gives way to the kangaroo. And uh, I decided to add an extra level. Uh, the original Frogger had everything all on one screen where you go across a freeway and then you jump across a river, and that was all on one screen in the original arcade Frogger. But on the Coco, because I'm using semi-graphics, because of the low res, I decided to split the screens up. So every part of the, 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 the freeway and the river are now two separate screens, and then I added a third screen as well to give it a bit of originality called the Stockyard, and it sits in between the freeway and the river. Um, the, I guess the, the main big deal about this <clears> game is that it was something I wanted to do was to try to do a game for a Coco 1, 2, 3, Dragon, everything that ran Coco stuff, um, and, uh, have background music playing while, while you're playing the game and, um, make it look very colorful by using the semi-graphics mode. So I think I've achieved um, most of that. So it's a it's a pretty colourful game, and it'll run on a uh, a Coco Coco any Coco with at least thirty two k of RAM. So uh, and a Dragon thirty two or Dragon sixty four. Yeah. Now the one thing before I go any further that I'd like to to say is I'd like to thank some of the game testers. Um, um, I'd like to thank uh, Buck Owens, um, who's been a very big help in trying to debug the game. Now, I'll explain some of the little bugs at the end, but uh, Buck Owens is a, is a very good game tester. Uh, I also had Kieran of the X-Raw fame gave me some help as well as game in game testing and also compiling a version of the uh, the game. Oh, testing to see that the game worked correctly on a dragon. Um, and uh, Curtis Boyle, who uh, managed to stay awake and uh, played it uh, and gave me a bit of feedback there as well. So without the game testing, uh, there, there'd be a lot more bugs than uh, what has eventuated. <laughs> and uh, talking about bugs, the current release, which I, I just released the game this week, the current release does have one bug, uh, and it's not really a bug as such in that it's uh, an incompatibility with the Coco 3 running an 87 gimme, and that's what's been – I've been spending a lot of time now, even though I put the game on sale now. Uh, I've only discovered it thanks to Jason, Coco Man, and, uh, and Buck Owens. Buck Owens had found it originally, and I thought I had fixed it. Um, but when Jason bought his copy of uh, the game, he then reported this 
um, quirk that happens in that the screen has a bit of a flicker. And uh, that put me back to trying to find out why this bug is coming back. So uh, the version, anyone who buys the game will end up getting that original version that will have a bit of a problem with on Coco 3s on a, uh, with an 87 gimme. Works perfectly on a gimme, a Coco 3 with an 86, which is what I use, which is why I never saw the bug. And it works perfectly on a Coco 1, 2, and Dragon 32, and 64 to a point. The Dragon 64 has a hardware issue to do with the sound, the way the sound works. So you've got to either modify your Dragon or you can turn the, the background music off because it doesn't play the background music correctly due to a, uh, a design fault or quirk or whatever you want to call it with the Dragon 64. It works fine on a Dragon 32. Um, yeah, works fine on a Gimme X too as far as the... And actually, yeah, uh, Curtis has tested on the Gimme X. It works there as well. Uh, and it works on the emulator. Sorry, David. I said, and it works fine on the Tano. And the Tano. There you go, Steve. The, 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 one of the biggest problems I've had in completing this game is because I wanted to try and make it work on every Coco platform from all the different hardware, all the different emulators. And boy, is that a hard, a hard task because it's amazing how much there is a variation in timings between a lot of those. For example, one thing I, I um, found was that under VCC, the emulator, the game ran too, um, uh, too fast. I couldn't work out why is it going so fast. It shouldn't be going this fast. And yeah, it turns out that the VCC doesn't doesn't isn't isn't cycle accurate very enough, and it just played havoc with the uh, the timings in the game. So when you run the program, it actually prompts you, are you running VCC? And if you are, um, it, it then patches the program a bit to compensate for that inaccuracy. So that gets a VCC working okay. It works in XRAW. It works in MAME. Um, but, yeah, the Coco 3 issue with the 87 gimme, that came up later. So um, I'm I'm now battling with and that. And it's now working on and some I, 87 gimmies because I think you said the version, the last have, version you sent out worked for Buck. Yes. It, well, it did then. Uh, but then, then Jason found uh, that it was still doing it. And according to Jason who's running it there in the background in his video, um, he's, I, I sent him a, a, a new version to test, and he says it largely works now. You only see a bit of a flicker every now and then. Um, so for... I think I, it, I, from, I, like to get a bit technical here, I think what is happening is that the timing when you're switching between two screens because you're page flipping. Well... The, the the game is written to be a Coco 1 and 2 game. I don't use any Coco 3 specific um, features. It's a Coco 1 and 2 game. So, uh, and, and therefore, on a Coco 3, you would assume it's going to work fine because the Coco 3 emulates the Coco 1 and 2 fine. So, you know, it should work. And it does on a 6, uh, on an 86 gimme. But uh, because it's being written for a Coco 1 and 2, I'm talking to the VDG chip 
And in order to change the position of the VDG chip, because I, I use double buffering, it it's three three bytes I have to be set uh, in between every frame. And that works fine. You just do the three bytes. You can reposition the screen. It happens fine on an 86 gimme uh, and on a Cocoa 1 and a Cocoa 2 and everything else. But on the 87 gimme, I don't know what it is there, but there's a bit of a lag in doing that every now and then. You see the screen just gets the wrong one quick flash of uh, of the wrong video page comes up. It flashes the wrong page to a very, for a very brief instant. It just flashes. Yeah, it looks like the screen um, jumps up vertically, like yeah, the screen or whatever, it, 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 every once in a while. It's as if it's as if the three bytes that it has to write to change the screen um, th- that there's a lag there that you know it changes one or two or whatever. And then before it's actually had done the third one, it's updated the screen and it's still sitting on the wrong page. And then it does the third byte and then it fixes up. Um, you don't get that on the 86 Gimme or, or any of the other Cocos. So I've been trying to improve that, just speed it up as much as I can so it does all three uh, quick enough. But yeah, there's some weird thing with the 87 Gimme. Which is odd because I thought the 87 gimme was meant to be the one that fixes the problems problems of the 86 gimme. And unfortunately, it seems like it's actually created another problem. It did fix some Coco 3 timing issues, but yeah, the Coco 2 stuff seems to... Maybe they weren't so worried about semi-graphics. Well, yeah, I mean, semi-graphics technically doesn't exist. This is a bit of a gimme trick to to fake it. That's right. So, I mean, the the game overall, it is is pushing... um, the Coco one a fair bit because I'm doing okay. The game runs only at 0.89 megahertz, so I don't have the the luxury of running at the Coco three's double clock rate. So everything has to run at at the 0.89, the slower speed. Uh, it's using a, a unofficial graphics mode to get all the colours and uh, and that on the on the screen. It's uh, using uh, the DAC. You've got one DAC, and that one DAC has to read the x-axis of the joystick, read the y-axis of the joystick, and generate sounds in real time while the game is still playing. So the, the DAC's being hammered in this game um, to do everything all at once without pausing, without delays, or at least very few. Um, so it is pushing it, and... Um, and it, it does largely work, but yeah, the problem with the 87 gimmies there is the is the problem at the moment that I'm trying to sort out. So everyone, anyone who buys the game will get that that well, what I think is a buggy version for the 87 gimme. Uh, it's still playable, but you have to put up with the screen flashing every now and then. So what I'm going to do is uh, when I get this thing sorted out, I will send everyone an updated copy just via the email because everyone who buys a copy whether they buy the digital download and and, and they just get the game for fi- the, you know, the the files for jumping joey or if they buy the cd package which i've packaged a bit differently this time around it's actually you get my other two games pipes and rally sg as well in that in that package i've called it the coco arcade 
but anyone who buys the CD will also get the digital download so they don't they don't have to wait for the CD to get posted uh, from the manufacturer. So they get that as well. But I will update everyone and send them the uh, fixed up copy as a digital download later on when I when I can nut out the problem. But yeah. um, I think Jason's Jason's got a copy of the current fixed version, and he's saying that it's it's largely working now. Is that right, Jason? Every right, now and then, right. do you see a, a flash on the screen? I've seen it like once or twice. It's been very, okay. very infrequent. It seems to vary because I know Buck Owens. Last night I was spending time with Buck Owens and uh, we were trying all sorts of things and I just couldn't get it out and I was getting tired. I was I was making mistakes as well. So I, I just left it at that and I just sent you, I sent Jason the latest uh, fix that I had to try out. And, um, yeah, so uh, once again, thanks to Buck Owen, uh, Kieran, and all the game testers for for putting up with all this. It's, this is, like I said, is this is the biggest headache of, of this whole game so far, trying to get it to work on everything because everything is not the same. There's no – there is a standard, but surprising how many things have actually strayed from the standards so you have to compensate for all of that. Yeah, uh, and you, like you're really pushing it here because you're you're doing like sc- scrolling in real time. You're doing a scrolling. Uh, you're doing an yeah, H sync interrupt to do the sound in the background. Now you're using every second interrupt, but basically you're blowing half the CPU time just generating half the background music. And, and you've already got half the CPU time compared to a Coco Three. So you're running the CPU at its slowest. And then you're blowing half of it anyway to do the music. So it's pretty tight, and yet it does scroll five lanes of graphics, and um, especially in the higher levels, they're pretty full levels, and they do scroll fairly quick. So even I was surprised at how fast I was actually able to make it all work uh, with the background sound. So I guess from a technical point of view, it is quite an achievement. but yeah, if I can just get this last bug fixed, fix, then I can, then I can sleep, sleep again. <laughs> the other nice thing is too is this is one of the games where you actually have both keyboard and joystick control, so the player can pick which which they're more comfortable yeah, with. Personally, yeah. I much prefer the keyboard. I noticed during one of Buck's live streams, it sounded like he was using the keyboard controls too. So I know some other people yeah, like yeah. yourself prefer the joystick. But yeah, and, and one thing with the joystick when you do. When you do play with a joystick, like I said, the joystick, using the joystick does also use use the DAC. So it puts an extra load on on uh, on the DAC, which is being used for for the music. So it's a it, it's um you've got to turn the music off in order to read the uh, to read the joysticks, um, and so that's a bit of a design quirk in the Coco in every Coco. Uh, which I wish I didn't have, but this, the, the music has to be turned off for that split fraction of a second just to get the joystick reads. And you can you can actually hear that turning off. When you select a joystick game and you listen carefully, you do hear a, a very faint buzzing in the background. That's That's the DAC being turned off to read the joystick. But if you choose keyboard, 
you don't have that problem. So it sounds a bit, you don't have that buzz anymore. Um, yeah. This time on the website, I do go into, I try to go into a bit of technical as well for those who like to listen to the technical stuff. I haven't spoken about the uh, the bug yet because that's still a uh, evolving work in progress. Uh, <laughs> work in progress. But I, I, I give a bit of an example there of the semi-graphics because there's still a lot. Of, I'm surprised by how many people still think that the Coco 3 can't do semi-graphics. Well, it can. As it, long as you don't use uh, the text characters. The text ca- ca- characters it can't do. So you just don't use that. You just use the graphics portions. So any score that you need to display or any any text you need to display, you just have to build them with graphics, not not the text characters and uh, all the graphics there then is uh, is the same. So I give a bit of an explanation of how to turn on semi-graphics on a Coco 3. And yeah. it, it, and this will also let you take an existing semi-graphics game uh, and there's one extra poke that you have to do before you do an exec on the program and run the program to make it all work on the Coco 3 with everything except the the text part so yep. game so this lets a... you play things like protectors 2 cave hunter yep. pack attack cyclops uh, i bunch don't of... know about protector 2 because protector 2 you well protector the... 2 would be, it's it's harder to play because the people you're rescuing are made of text characters so they're invisible yeah so so the <laughs> you fact still that get the audio doesn't... thing if you pick them up but yeah you have to kind of yeah, remember yeah, where the heck they are yeah that game might be a bit of a hard one too <laughs> and it does not work on like, guardian can guardian uses that weird overscan guardians which, yeah uses yeah. another feature but a lot of the semi graphics do can be made to work on a coco 3 um yeah. as long I, as I like the fact so, that you actually did this that you actually for free you don't even have to buy the game you can get this little table here and if you want to try to fix some of your semi graphics games to work on a coco 3 and most of them will get fixed with this you just have to load it find out which semi-graphics mode that game is in, do the one poke, and then you type exec, and then it, it suddenly runs again instead of you only... Yeah, yeah, so it does work. So I'll put that in there, but um, I'll probably add to this page uh, later on once I uh, get closer to working out what this bug is. So. And this is a nice, another nice little nod you did for the Coco 3 users here too that I just highlighted. Oh, uh, yeah, well, um, the Coco 1 and 2 has the... Uh, the four arrow keys positioned uh, very well for games in that the up and down is on the left side of the keyboard. The left and right is on the right hand side of the keyboard. So and I remember back of the, yeah, I remember back in the day when I actually had reflexes, um, it was easy. You could just rest your hands on either side of the keyboard and you could play. It was quite comfortable. But now with the Coco 3, they put everything in a diamond cluster which looks impressive, but gee, it mangles my fingers up whenever I try to control anything. So, <laughs> I've, yes. So, um, in this game, I thought I'll also support the alt and control keys uh, as well as the up and down arrow keys. So, on a Coco 3, you can put your hands on the left and right of the keyboard and play it the way it was meant to be played. <laughs> Yeah, and it, I, from experience for me testing that, that would made a world of difference. I did much better. If, if you're used to keyboard control, then that's the way to do it. Um, I can't anymore. The reflexes are gone now. So I use a joystick and I use a, I use a, a, a Atari-type Waco stick, and it plays really well with that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the game will support both keyboard or joystick. 
Yeah, and then you uh, also yeah. mentioned here no kangaroos were harmed in the making of this game. Oh uh, yeah, I specifically wanted that 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 uh, to, to be the case. Uh, yeah, no kangaroos were harmed in the making of this game. So uh, frogs, on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> So for those of you yeah. listening on audio rather than seeing the video here, if you go to the nickmorentes.com project archive website, and there'll be links in the Discord show notes, um, it's $8 for the digital download, which means you get it in the mail within 24 to 48 yeah, hours and I with mail a them PDF of the manual. Yep, yep. And then if you want and, and the... You uh, get, the oh, go ahead. Yeah, and the, the digital downloads are dual discs. They work on both a Dragon and a, Com- and a Coco. So it's just a one DSK file, which you load on a, which can be read on both machines. Even though the uh, DOSs are dragon. horribly different. <laughs> Even though the DOSs, DOSs are different, uh, it will be readable. And that's thanks to Kieran of the XRAW, uh, of XRAW fame, the emulator. Uh, he helped me with that and he, he, he built up the, uh, the disk images. So thanks to Kieran for that. Uh, that, that was a, a big help. Otherwise, yeah. I would have had to add a version on uh, like a dragon a disc. disc image and a cocoa disc. Yeah, image yeah. One. and uh, I just wanted to simplify it to one disc. So that's what comes in the in the digital download one for eight bucks, and I I mail it out. You also get the CAS file as well, by the way. So if you have a uh, a CAS, uh, well, you can use the CAS file, but there's the WAV file as well. So for people who wanna who only have a, a cassette. You could record the WAV file onto a cassette and then load from cassette into a Coco with at yeah. least 32K. And, you know, they go real old school. Yeah, if you really want to go old school. I think every Dragon came with at least 32K anyway. But on yeah. a Coco, yeah, you've got to have at least 32K of RAM and then you can just load it in uh, with a, a cassette you can make. You can also take the DSKs, I guess, and... Uh, and make uh, a real floppy if you want. Yeah. And then we'll mention that the physical CD package, this is where you kind of did the bonus round you mentioned earlier, where you've taken all three of your recent Coco 1, 2, and Dragon-compatible games, which is Pipes, yeah. which is Pipe Mania, and Rally SG, which is Rally X clone, as well as this. So if you haven't bought any of Nick's uh, recent Coco 1, 2 games, you're getting a heck of a deal here for $15. You're getting all three of them. Um, yeah, that'd be mean slightly the, less, um, you know, Ferraris for Nick because he's bundling it. But uh, <laughs> I, I think he has enough in his fleet. <laughs> <laughs> um, just click on the uh, where it says "click here" to see the back of the CD case. Uh, right there, yeah. So that that's the back of the CD. So they're the three games you get, and every one of them is a semi-graphics game. So you get eight colors, eight color on a color computer. That was that was the whole idea. You've got to see color on a color computer. <laughs> yeah, and you'll notice, like, depending on if, if you got if you just picked a machine off eBay or something like that, you might not be able to play all of these at once if it's not a maxed out machine. But you'll see the system requirements for each of these is different. So, Jumping Joy uh, requires 32k RAM, but will work with joystick or keyboard. Pipes only yeah. needs 16k RAM, but requires a joystick or mouse. And then Rally SG needs 64k RAM and a joystick. So, even if you get an upgrade later, like if you bought a 16k off of uh, eBay or something like that, you can go ahead and play Pipes right then. And then if you upgrade to 64K later, you've already got the CD with the other two games, and voila, you got two more games to play. So, Yeah. And there's a, there's a PDF version of the manual for each one of them. And in the CD, 
will be a printed manual for Joey. Yeah. So for the clubbers out there, I think it's a really good deal. Yeah. And anyone who has bought the CD as well um, in the last few days, uh, I've been told by the uh, Kunaki, the uh, CD manufacturer, that they've posted out all orders uh, as of uh, as of yesterday. So it, they're in the mail. So oh, people okay. in the US should start getting it in the next, I don't know, two, three, however long the post works in the US. If and you're out elsewhere, <laughs> yeah, and even longer for Australia. So I, I was the first one to order a disc because I want to see if the disc is actually going to work. <laughs> but I've got to wait another three, maybe four weeks before it, it, it gets here. You know, I would have thought I should be the first because it's downhill, right? <laughs> yeah. But no. No, it's uh, I'll, I'll probably be the, be the last one who actually gets it. Yeah, but anyway, it's, it's a anyway. really good package. The game itself is really well. Like it's a, Nick mentioned, I was one of the beta testers on it. Um, the the fact that you're getting a Coco one or two or Dragon to do two voice music in the background plus sound effects, keyboard and or joystick controls runs on every Coco you know, with a minor glitch on the eighty six game or eighty seven gimme, uh, which is being worked on. And and it's Frogger with an, a whole extra stage to it too. The the Stampede one where you've got the sliding openings and sentences going back and forth while the actual cattle wrap around. So you got to keep track of both separately. Is actually kind of a nice bonus bit of gameplay in there too. So well, it's it's pretty impressive. Wow, what a salesman! Gee, how there much you do go. you think I'm paying you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you meant cents instead of dollars? Well, I retract everything I just. <laughs> That's said. right, it's Australian dollars. <laughs> 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 now, I know you probably do not want to talk about what your future plans on games are, but I think you said before you even get to doing any further game stuff, you're going to be, uh, and I'm probably jumping the gun telling people this, but we've kind of talked about it before, but I think you're going to be working with Rick here on, on working on the Orc 180, right? Um, yeah, well, that's a little side. Uh, that's not not really a product of, it's just something No, no, I but it's, it's, it's what you're going to be working on next there, I guess, so that oh, for, yeah, people that, are expecting you to jump right into thing. another game. It's not going to quite happen quite yet. Well, it's it's a more of a sideline project, so I'll be doing that on the side with uh, Rick, who's designing the hardware, and I'm designing the software. And uh, basically, I'm trying to recreate something that's very much like uh, the original um, Fairlight. That the uh, uh, for those who know what a Fairlight is, it's that music, uh, very early first maybe sampling synthesizer. Yeah, Australian made too. Uh, but it, the very first model was based on the 6809 as well. Uh, it yeah. actually and it was it has a lot of similar uh, – I think it was, yeah. And I think um, the hardware was actually well, back in the day because it came out in the very late 70s, just before the Coco maybe came out, does have a lot of similarities with the Coco. Mind you, the, the Fairlight did improve uh, a fair bit. They added more RAM and all that later on. But I'm just trying to make a, a version for the Coco that was similar to the very first Fairlight or something similar. I don't know. It's still early days. But the trick is that Patrick is taking the basically the Orchestra 80 um, music cartridge that Tandy sold, and he's adding another two hardware 8-bit DAC outputs. So it'll be four 8-bit DAC outputs, therefore making a four-voice music. 
And for me, the the big thing was that you get four voices, four independent hardware voices, so you don't have to mix the uh, four channels that you're processing. Yeah, you don't have to add the samples yeah, and so, shift them. So you get a bit crap. of a speed gain there. As well as better uh, fidelity because you're doing 8-bit instead of 6. And it's 8-bit. So, I mean, that that's about it. There's no other smarts in there. It's it's still it's still a relatively dumb cartridge, although um, Patrick, I think, might be adding – is looking into doing – adding the ability for sampling as well, if I'm – if that's still on the cards, Patrick? Yeah, it looks like uh, captures are doable. And also having four channels, we could do some uh, smoothing or, you know, tone shaping or something on the two channels that have never existed before. So we're still compatible with software that already exists for the Orton yeah. 90, plus whatever Nick can come up with. So, well, yeah, so... Um... So anyway, Patrick's doing the hardware. You can <laughs> yeah. tell Patrick's doing the hardware because he's still got his hair. Uh, if it was us doing it, soldering, we'd burn yeah. our hair. Oh, it, it's so burned back. It's burned back. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that's a sideline project. You know, I don't even know how far it's going to go, but yeah, it's something. Well, I the thing wanted there, I wanted to mention it because a lot of people kind of like you normally kind of jump into your next game project. You're already pre-planning it while you're finishing off the previous one, but you are taking a bit of a, a side well, here to try that. Yeah, out yeah. Well, I do have plans for another game. You know, they're going to be probably doing um, something like Doom or something. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> now, I've got a few ideas, but uh, yeah, Halo. but um, yeah, this other one is just a personal sideline project that i've always wanted to do so i figured i'll i'll you'll sucker a hardware guy into helping you out yeah i got it well you know it it works out it'll be an interesting um project i guess for anyone who's interested in that though you know it's not the sort of thing oh wow i've got to get myself a sampler or a a four channel orc 90 yeah i really want to buy that yeah that might be a bit more limiting uh, a limited market but Anyway, that's all right. It's something I wanted to do anyway, and yeah, I'll suck at Patrick. After, to you were do talking it about well. the Fairlight, which is kind of your inspiration for here. There's been a couple of comments here in the chat. So Sixy uh, says, Karen says that Kate Bush made extensive use of the Fairlight. Uh, Alan Murphy says the Fairlight inspired Coco Software Hardware Comic fires cash at Nick and Rick. So obviously you've got a sale there already. <laughs> um, Alan also says the movie Aliens. Early. Most of the sound effects were created on a Fairlight in Jim Cameron Gail Hurd's living room, which I didn't know that part. Tom Eric Gummerson said it was also used by the Pet Shop Boys. So this was quite popular in the late 70s, early 80s with music. It was the first, I guess, uh, commercial sampling keyboard. Um, Well, workstation keyboard, one that you could actually use to create proper commercial music. And that's why it was picked up by a lot of those early artists in the the, uh, very early 80s. Of course keyboards advance from there and uh they all have that sampling now in them but yeah the fairlight was um was uh australian designed and manufactured and it kicked it seemed to be the one that kicked off the whole 80s since uh, yeah sampling since and all that era and as uh, kieran says yeah kate bush was a big uh big user of it and anyone who's, who's seen the news this year kate bush is a uh, made a comeback this year with uh yeah thanks to stranger things yeah stranger things the uh theme song in stranger things 
pretty good that you can actually write something back in 1985 and in 2010 out of the blue it becomes a number one hit again and you're right yeah yeah that's right didn't have to recreate the song it just got picked up and then went on uh on uh, on the internet it it just spread like wildfire and suddenly she's got a a number Number one one hit hit that she wrote 30 40 years ago and, yeah, and it and, was uh, done on the on the Fairlight. Alan mentions this too, and I was going to mention it as well here. Daniel O'Connor actually has a Fairlight and actually was going through some yeah. hardware and taking it apart and fixing them up for some of the original people involved with it in Australia. Yeah, yeah, so right. it's kind of coming That's coming right. full circle if you can get something that kind of simulates it a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, really getting into the uh, the whole Australian thing here. I've got the Jumping Joey now with the Australianized version of Frogger. And uh, now we're going to do the Fairlight. Uh, on the Coco. Yeah. Now, I imagine <laughs> we're going to probably do, as, with all of your game releases, we usually make it a game on challenge uh, for the challenge live at some point, but we usually give it a few weeks, maybe a month, to let people, you know, who catch up the show a little bit later and, you know, maybe a little bit behind, especially with Christmas holidays and Thanksgiving and stuff coming up. So we'll make it an official game on challenge probably within, you know, before the end of the year type thing for sure. Um, so that's coming. Right. And then I also want to mention uh, the taping of the Amigos Coco show for Grand Prix Challenge, uh, which they just taped on Friday. would get released probably on YouTube in about three or four weeks, but they bumped their original choice for what the next game was going to be to put Jumpin' Joey on. So that's going to be their next right. game for next month. So uh, you guys can look okay. forward to that too. And while, when, once they give me the taping date there, Nick, I'll let you know so you can pop by in the chat and ridicule them. I mean, I explain the game. <laughs> I'll have to, I'll have to uh, I'll make sure they... Uh have a uh, a working 86 gimme for it because they're going to get I think Boat already bad. tried it. I don't think he saw the glitches, so I'm guessing he has an 86. Oh, okay. okay I'm not good. sure. <laughs> I'll have to double-check with him. He's already, he's already played it a little bit. I know that. Oh, okay. Um, Nick, you you have, yes. this, uh, you have this Joy character looking real sweet on the label, you know, and everything. Yeah. But uh, isn't it true that uh, down under, um, those kangaroos are not, not so well-liked? Is that true? Uh, we like our kangaroos. I mean, yeah, yeah, just, don't, mean just don't I, tick them off. I thought they, they were friendly? pretty much like a pest or something. You know? No, no, no. They're 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 very much an Australian icon. Icon. They're yeah. they're even on some of our coins. Yeah. No, they're they're fine. Although, mind you, don't get in front of a angry kangaroo. They can beat the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have a more aggressive version of this game later. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and by the way, a joey for those uh, who may not know what a what a joey is 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 a baby kangaroo. Well, a, a joey is a baby marsupial, and normally they they call a baby kangaroo a joey. Well, so that's that's what a joey so, is. Yeah, so you're a baby kangaroo hopping across, not just a plain yeah, old so, adult kangaroo. So, so you're not violent. This is a non-violent kangaroo. Wait a minute, though. Isn't there a squish if you? <laughs> yeah, if you run it over with uh, one of the cars in the uh, freeway scene, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it squishes it. <laughs> and that does happen. It's called roadkill. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if you'd like Erico's comment. He said if it if they're barbecuable, all is fine. <laughs> well, they are. They are. That's a thing. Oh, it's it's yummy. It's like eating a deer not. around here. Some of the reason of barbecue why you, sauce do you use with a kangaroo? That's, some of the reason why you can't sleep at night is this uh, stuff's in the background, you know. 
Hey, Nick, there's a uh, question from Tom Eric Gunderson about uh, who did the artwork for Jumping Joey, like on the main. Okay. Jumping Joey was actually purchased. Um, I was looking for on Google, as I always do, I look on Google for all the different free clip art that you find, but I couldn't find one that I liked. And I found that one, which also had him holding in a, an Australian flag, which I thought, hey, that 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 would be ideal. Um, but it was one, it was a commercial one that I had to pay for. So I actually paid to have that artwork. So that's a licensed copy of uh, of uh, of the kangaroo and the Australia flag and everything. So is the background like the trees and the sunset? Is that also part of that same image, or is that no, no? That that was just a general artwork. Some something I've found on on google again that was some freebie click bar but uh yeah the the joey the joey wasn't it was a licensable image which i are those the typical trees you would have there in there um uh well we do have some that look like that yeah okay i assume Hmm. it it is meant to be a sketch of a of an australian uh outback as they call it yeah and it was handy that that picture also had a bit of a, a river in the front there. You can see down the bottom there. I thought, yeah, that, that suits the game because you do. Yeah, it looks like he's just about to cross that last level. Yeah, there. he's just about to drown. I mean, uh, <laughs> jump across. Now, yeah. If that's an outback, where's the blooming onion? Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> or the steak with so much salt on it, it'll kill you. <laughs> yes. The kangaroo steak. <laughs> Now, if, if Paul Thayer's listening, he just had a release, too, he mentioned here recently, and I would like to get him on to talk in a bit more detail about Kokobon at some point, too. Now, I know he's been kind of busy, but I'm hoping we can maybe sneak in some time over the next few weeks to get him to talk about his game so he can kind of promote it, you know, as unabashedly as Nick does. So, you know, give him some <laughs> you know, fair compensation there because it's a pretty good game. It's a puzzle game, so it's probably, you know, probably not. I don't think cosmic games are quite as common as arcade games for some players. I, I personally really like both of them, so I, I bought both. So, um, yeah, hopefully, Paul, if you're listening to this, uh, get a hold of me. We'll see if we can get you on one of these days, even if you just come on for like half an hour to talk about it. Anyway, you can order it now, and if you have the 87 Gimme and it has that little glitch, which it seems like it's... It's not always consistent between all 87 gimmies either because you had mentioned that Buck said it was fixed and then when you gave it to Jason, yeah, it wasn't it was fixed for a while. And then it Jason looks like it's a bit of variation yeah. to gimmies themselves. Or maybe the RAM upgrade in the, associated with the gimme might have something to do that. Who knows? Is that the co- because you have self modifying code in there? No, 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 it's, no. it's the page flipping. It's 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 taking the two screens, like basically he's drawing one screen you get to see, and then he's got another one drawing in the background so that you don't get to watch it actually dry. He's Changes over you to point to jump it's between done. them. When it's going between them, it's catching it like right in the middle of programming where it's supposed to go find it, so that it suddenly jumps to somewhere it's not supposed to for a split second, then comes back to normal. So it's a and, timing thing. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly enough, the hardware I'm working on has a similar problem between some 87 gimmies versus yeah, there must be. Gimmies. This is the network card some. you're talking about, Rick? Or? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. something in there that's. We need to track down. So this is the only time that an 86 gimme would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, the, the version that you see on, on uh, Jason, on, on the Coco Man's um, page there, if you want to just highlight Jason at the moment, uh, Mark, in the background, he's got an 87 <laughs> gimme, and he's running the latest uh, 
patch the version that I um, I sent him to confirm that it works. Because it works perfect on mine. I've got an 86 gimme. Well, and there's no problems at all. But I was uh, trying to highlight them, but it broke. <laughs> oh, did it? Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, he, he's got it running and he says he only sees that flash every now and then. Um, so I, I hope that's with all uh, 87 Gimme Cocos. Uh, like I said, uh, we spent a bit of time last night with Buck and uh, I'm scratching my brains out trying to uh, work out what's wrong. But that's the closest I've gotten to so far. Yeah, it's definitely improved. Why did Tandy do this? There we go. <laughs> there well, you in go. this case here, that's that's a pretty subtle thing, and like it's not consistent. So it could have just been a manufacturing thing, which would have been beyond Tandy's control because that was made yeah, by who's the DLSI know. that made the gimme chips. Well, plus we know the they eight. had to patch. They had to patch the eighty-six gimme. If they had to, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul, they're going to take something out of some of graphics to make. The other three-step work, yeah. So and I'll, I'll be honest. I've, I've mentioned this to Nick before, too. When we were doing Nitrous 9 as a commercial product, we had one of our beta testers, Colin McKay, who used to run Northern Exposure. He had a gimme that also, if you tried to do things too fast, it would just freeze dead every once in a while. So we had to actually slow down some stuff that worked on everybody's machine but Colin's, but we had to make sure it had a common denominator so it would work on anybody who came in and bought it later. But his was our main testing ground because we found out that his was the most marginal out of all of our machines, including some other testers we had, and we had to always slow things down an extra cycle or two here and there just to make sure it wouldn't crash on boot on you know, people who had that really bad gimme chip. It worked fine playing games and stuff, so obviously, you know, it's it's it's, it's it was good enough for Tandy. And this, I mean, we were running a 609 at the time, too, of course, so that cut the cycle times down more than Tandy would have seen. So maybe we're, that's where we're pushing it marginally. You're not doing that in this case, so you don't have any 639 optimized code in here at all, do you? Or no, you no. Mode? Yeah. It's all 6809. Yeah, yeah and I, I tried it on two Coco 3s with 87 gimmies, one with a 6309 and one with a 6809. Same no result. difference? Yeah, no difference. Okay, so, anyway, um, if you want to get a copy of it, and if you got a Coco 1, 2, 3, or a Dragon 32, Dragon 64, it mostly works on all of them um it's definitely playable i mean you just get a flash where the screen you know draws like halfway down or something and then it immediately goes back to normal so it doesn't prevent you from playing the game properly you can still play it no. but hopefully nick will be able to figure out the exact timing to get it to work on everybody's machine well doesn't that become like a collector's edition you know with yeah well that's what i that's what i figured <laughs> Yeah, he was, he was talking about charging extra for this version, yeah. actually, because you, you ought to have it so it detects whether you have an 87 or 86, and then, you know, it would show the gold edition, you know. Right. Yeah. And uh, I, I see Mark Siegel's mentioning in chat that it, it may be the RAM chips and not the gammy, and um, if I had other types of memory to try, I would, but I don't. But yeah. you, you're using the um, Trident cards, aren't you? I've got the boomerangs. Triads. No, boomerangs. Oh, boomerangs. Okay. Yeah. I've got a, like a 512 boomerang and a one meg boomerang without a dap in there, I, I do believe. Yeah. I remember well, back back when the Coco 3 first came out, though, <clears throat> when the third party 512K upgrades started coming out, some of them used 150 nanoseconds, some used 120, some used 100. And some hardware horizontal scrolling stuff did not work properly on some of those RAM upgrades and did on others. So they did figure out. Mark's right that there is some RAM issues there too. 
I don't know, for people that have triads or boy, the, the old boys in tech or Mark, uh, Marco when he starts selling them again, or the, you know, the two meg upgrades or the eight meg upgrade from Ed Snyder, et cetera, uh, if there's any differences that that makes, you know, depending on the gimme as well. For whatever it's worth, the, the 86, 87 gimme problem that I'm seeing, we have checked against various RAM upgrades and it's not that. I mean, we've okay. been through good to know. Several speeds of old-fashioned upgrades and the boomerang and the triad, and there's no difference in them. There's something in the gimme. So, okay. Now this wouldn't have to do with age, would it? Like after a while, something degrades. It's. I suppose it's nah. not impossible, but I don't think it is. I mean, and all these machines work for most purposes just fine. You just run into weird things like this game, my card. Yeah. Yeah. And and the problem went away when I did the high speed poke, but then the game was too fast, but the flickering went away. Which again points to timing. Because <clears throat> you got more time to service the uh, H-Sync IRQs and stuff. Are, are you doing those uh, screen changes on a V-Sync, Nick, or are you doing them just... Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for the V-Sync, yeah. And do you shut interrupts around it as soon as you've detected these things? I tried sure. that as well, and I, and I thought that fixed the problem, but it's uh, it's been doing it still, yeah. Okay. Could, could it be related to the issues we had with the sparklies? No, I don't think so, no. You know where we had a, bu a bus contention? Wow. Who, who, knows? who knows for sure? Could be. You guys are way above my pay grade. This is all hardware stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I guess the essential thing here is that uh, Nick is working on a, hopefully a final fix that will fix those few Koga 3s that are having this little bit of odd behavior, still play the game. The music still plays, et cetera. And that you should uh, go to his site, check it out, and order it because he, you know, daddy needs a new Ferrari. Yeah. Do you think oh, there are, baby. do you guys think there are, um, more um, cocoa owners with uh, ones and twos than threes out there. Judging by the sheer numbers sold, there should be by a large margin. And plus the fact they're still affordable, cocoa threes on eBay or not. But I think a lot of people that are active in the community have stuck with cocoa threes because it plays, you know, games or, or programs from all the cocoa's history instead of just the cocoa one and two. Yeah. So I imagine the active ones is probably a bit more on par. Or even a little bit higher. I don't. I, I have a one Coco one here, but I I don't break it out that often. It's got even got a Coco VGA in it. Coco. Hey, anything else to add there, Nick? Or should I? I finally That's get off it. this the Nick hype train you can here. Finally get off it. Yep. That's <laughs> it. I can get off my bomb box. <laughs> Anyway, it is a really good game. You should have to check it out. If you have a Coco one and two, especially, it's it's a really good one having background music. Nine colors, including black, simultaneously on the screen with scrolling uh, keyboard and joystick controls and a Frogger clone with a whole extra level that doesn't exist in the original Frogger. So you're getting some originality there, too. So. Okay. And now it makes sense that the character drowns. <laughs> yeah, I'm like Frogger. That's true. <laughs> okay, so on to the regular game on news now. Um, so we announced last week Parasurat and Keys von Oss had released the fourth AGD, AGD Games Pack, 
a set of four games that uh, are from the Spectrum's AGD uh, game designing software ported over to the Coco and the Dragon, but enhanced for the Super Sprite FM Plus board, which means it has 16 color graphics and it's got you know multi-voice sound in the background, etc. Well, hot on the heels of that, it, literally within a week, he's released the fifth pack. So there's another four games. That's now 20 games that now support that extra hardware. And that hardware works on Dragon 32, Dragon 64, Coco 1, 2, and 3. You can actually put it in 3 as well. So this one here contains the games Bomb Bomb Buster, Boxes, B-Squared, and Captain Rescue. And he's got some screenshots here of the full 16-color graphics. Obviously, this won't be playing the multi-voice music and sound effects from the sound chip that's built into the board. But you can definitely see it's an improvement over the black and white versions that the, the standard ones we get are. Um, kind of get an idea for the palette. The resolution is basically the same. So 2 to 6 by one i 2 except you have a lot more color. But some pretty nicely designed stuff. We've seen a couple of videos on some of the first gen of these he did. Um, and speaking of that, um, and you can go get this in the World of Dragon archive um, at worldofdragon.org. You can get it on their uh, uh, down, software downloads channel. They have a bunch of forum channels there. And the one, uh, software downloads channel actually has the downloads you can actually get. And all the regular HED games are the big packs we mentioned last week are on there too. And then you can also get the HED enhanced ones here. Now, kind of along the same lines here, um, John Woodworth, who created the uh, Super Sprite FM Plus board, uh, on behalf of Parasurat, said that they're, they're trying to figure out what games to port next because he's ready to do his next batch. But rather than just going in the order of the 300-plus games that are already out there, they're figuring if there's any games that are favorites of anybody who's been playing them, that maybe they'll try to get those done first. So they'll do the packs in like order of what people want to see versus the order they were originally released in. So I know there was a few enhanced engine ones. I'm trying to remember, uh, Ken, Kenny and Retro Things actually had one of them as a game on challenge that added some new engine stuff that uh, like layers where you can walk behind objects in front of objects, et cetera. That'd be a good one, I would suggest. But they're taking a poll on the Super Sprite FM Plus board. And if you're e even at all interested in this board, you should join that group on Facebook. And then uh, they're going to set up a poll once they get some suggestions. So send suggestions first if you've got some games that you think would work. And then they'll probably put a poll up with, say, 10 or 20 or whatever it is. And then you'll be able to vote on which ones Pear and Keys Venos should concentrate on porting next. So now I was wondering, does anybody, how many people on the panel here have the uh, Super Spread FM Plus or are interested in getting one? Terry, you're I'm interested or you have one? Interested. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested. Emulated. Okay. And David Ladd, I'm trying to remember if you had or you were interested in one too. I'm interested, but you know, um, Financial situations are always a hindrance, which is why I also don't have a <laughs> gimme X either. Well, they're also on obtaining them at this point, so you have another extra excuse on the gimme X. I know some people, I think Brian Weezer just got his though, didn't he? I think he was going to have it installed and try to show it to us at some point. I think he received his. So hopefully we'll get some live reports of it soon. And with some of these new game packs, I'd love to see exactly what these look and sound like. Anyway, if you go to the Super Sprite FM Plus Facebook group, you should be able to suggest some games that should be ported next from the AGD Games Collection, which I think is up to 350 games or just under that. So there's a lot to choose from besides the 20 that have been ported already. They've almost <laughs> reached half of what Jim Gary's put out for the MC10. Can you believe it? Oh, no. AGD, yeah. <laughs> 
Now, just because I knew Ken wasn't going to be able to play some videos and stuff here for the uh, Game On Challenge, um, I thought I'd show a little bit here. So this is uh, from David Ladd, our oh, no. first place winner this this week, too. Which I Is that the first time that's happened, David, where you've won the Game On Challenge? Um, is this maybe the second or third? I don't remember. I'm pretty sure I've won something else in the past. I just don't remember what it is. Okay. So this one here, I believe, is the one that is both patched for the level three bug, where the game yes. just stopped. And it also has uh, the uh, P-Mode 4 artifacting color patch, so that uh, on a RGB monitor on a Cocoa 3, you actually get some full color on it. Right. The one that was uh, from me winning the challenge, I believe that one is the one that's on my Dave's Hobbies. But this was another one I recorded, I think, last night and just threw up, just put on this channel <laughs> so anyway for the people that were wondering what the heck we were talking about in the game here besides just from screenshots i'll, I'll play a little with the sound so you guys can hear it because it actually has background sound running the whole time you're playing which actually is kind of cool but especially for like a 1982 game you just don't have my background commentary well yeah we'd probably have to bleep most of it anyway so really <laughs> there it is you just heard the whole background So I'll turn down the, the volume a little bit here, but for the people that have not seen the game actually running before, Dave, do you want to kind of explain what the gameplay is here? Well, basically, you just try to collect all the, well, in this case, the blue blue Xs and avoid the red ones. And, um, yeah, don't go in the center. I accidentally got in the Saturn once, and it took me like five minutes of holding the joystick the other direction for it to eventually let me out. <laughs> <laughs> and the game speeds up the more of the blue things you're collecting here, I presume. Yep, or at least there's less things to keep the CPU busy. Yeah, I think it's actually on purpose. It's just like Space Invaders. It actually is the CPU, but they've worked it in so that actually is part of the gameplay, too. Is that a timer-based bonus you get at the end, or a level-based, do you know? I have no idea. I was just trying to keep from dying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that's, I think, enough to show that, but I just wanted to show what the actual gameplay was like for those that Don't have not seen it. Don't die is tip number one. Yeah. Usually. But on this one, after level four, it cheats. They can go through the walls, but you can't. That's not cheating. That's just extra difficulty <laughs> or handicapping. I, no matter how you call it, it's still cheating. <laughs> not, that's not an issue. That's a feature. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it, it's a pretty cool original game, as I mentioned before. It's one I definitely like playing back in the day. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to participate this week, but. Next up, these are a couple quick videos here uh, that Retro Arcade Gaming on YouTube. Now, he's been putting up these little short videos of Donkey Kong ports, clones, transcodes, etc. for a variety of, of systems. Uh, he's done some comparison videos before, but he just kind of split them out. So he did one for the Donkey Kong transcode by Sockmaster, which is one that's pictured here. I won't play it, but he actually shows all four levels, too. So you get to see, like, the elevators, and you get to see the pie factory, etc. And then he did a second one doing Donkey King, which, of course, is a clone. Now, this one, he wasn't able to get to all the screens. He only did the first two, so the rivets and the 
the first screen here. So, but it, you know, it plays the sound effects. There's no commentary. It's just, you know, raw gameplay and it's like little one and a half, two and a half minute videos. So if you want to do like a comparison shot between, you know, what a spectrum version of Donkey Kong looks like versus the Coco three one or something like that, you can do that just by going between the videos. Well, that's kind of cool. He's covering some Coco stuff there. Uh, this is kind of a follow-up. We did a comparison video on Hunchback. This is a, a newer one with some uh, extra things on it. I'm not going to play because we just literally print, played the Hunchback one within the last couple of weeks. But I thought it showed the static screen that he chose for his frame for the YouTube here before you actually play the video. Because what it actually is showing is how the main character that you're playing is rendered on all the platforms, which in this case includes like a BBC Micro, a Spectrum, a Dragon 32, the original arcade game from England. Um and you can you guys pick out based on the color palette here which one the dragon one is? <laughs> I'm sure Nick can. It's got to be the lower left. Yep. Correct. Background. <laughs> now, blue and yellow, that's what you get. Enjoy it. Yeah. Now, if you're familiar with the Spectrum and how they do their color um mapping with color clash, you can probably guess which one it's the Spectrum version too. Bottom row, one uh, on the right-hand side from the center. Yep, correct. The old color bleed. And the upper left, I believe, is the original arcade game. So actually, the resolution's not too much higher there, actually, to be honest. A little bit, but uh, yeah, it's interesting to seeing, like, because of the palette limitations or the color clash limitations or what modes you have, you know, how much of a difference, you know, a, a quote-unquote official arcade port has between the different platforms, so the BBC Micro to the Dragon to the Electron to whatever. So I thought that was kind of interesting. If you want to check out the whole video, it actually does gameplay with the sound and the graphics and goes through multiple levels of each and kind of compare all the different platforms together. Next up here, call negative 151 on YouTube. And for the, anybody who's used an Apple II or II Plus, you'll know exactly what that means. That's the way you invoke the uh, disassembler in the monitor. So you could actually do some poking around in assembly language there. I used it quite a bit back in school. Everything so I thought it was a pretty... come with one. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty cool name for a YouTube channel, but you can definitely tell he's got some Apple-centric, and he's got an Apple II sitting on his... beside him there on the right-hand side, too. Uh, but basically, what he did here is that he's been... I guess apparently he's been working on this for a couple of months, trying to get some um, tape-based games to play from an MP3 player... To load on the dragon now mp3 is a lossy format and i'm wondering if maybe that's why he didn't really explain but i'm wondering if that's why he had so many challenges that took him that while to get i know it's also a bit fussy on volume um maybe even the uh you know treble settings or something like that might cause some issues too but he actually got it to load so he actually ends up playing the uh dragon 32 version of planet invasion by spectral associates which of course is in a different color set than we're used to seeing here with the artifacting north america i'll just play a little little clip of it here so um, I'm, I'm very excited tonight because I've managed to get my Dragon 32 working, which has taken me weeks and weeks and weeks. Let me just come over here and I'll show you what I've done. Because uh, I connected it to a laptop to load the tape um, format things in a WAV form, uh, but it just wouldn't work, it wouldn't work. And I found out I needed a new cable for it. So, um, I got that and then eventually um, after playing around the laptop again I worked out that it wasn't like putting the audio through properly off the laptop so I 
I loaded the WAV things onto an MP3 player and lo and behold, it loads. So I've now got Planet Invasion playing, which uh, you can look at the screen here. And I, I worked out that I've got a joystick which actually works as well. So I'll just uh, show you a little bit of me playing Planet Invasion. Hang on. It's so different seeing this Very with a white exciting. background instead of black. This is good stuff. <laughs> All right, I won't play the whole thing there. Um, I don't know if we've covered Planet Invasion on the Game on Challenge yet. That's a fairly decent Defender clone. The sprites are quite small, but it, it has all the different parts of Defender in it. So, um, but it was it was interesting to hear that it, it took him like you know quite a long time to get the MP3 player to actually load things properly. It sounds like he had a bad cassette cable as well that probably was causing some of the issues there. But uh, as as we pointed out many times in the past, so the Dragon definitely was much more cassette centric than than the Coco was here in North America, where we. Most of us were into disk drives by the mid-80s, for the most part. And by the Coco 3, I don't think pretty well anybody was really using cassette. At least nobody I knew <laughs> on a Coco 3. They usually had a disk drive. Now, that's it for the game on news. Do you want me to go straight into the rigor, or did you want to play a little intro thingy? Yeah, I can do the intro. Okay. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on... News with Elkers. Hello, Muppet News Flash. Okay. Okie dokie. Get my screen. There, I think I got the right one. So I was getting some Discord messages. Uh, somebody who might be coming on for a project update afterwards if his internet connection where he's at right now stays stable. It's been off and on. It's not Ken. Okay, so uh, Pierre Sarazin has actually got two updates to CMOC uh, in the form of library updates, not the actual compiler itself. So in the upper left corner of the screenshot from his, his main web page where we can download all this stuff uh, is the DECB file version 0.1.7, which he just updated on November 13th. Um, so basically this one here, uh, he added a demo showing how to use the driver to read and write files from assembly language programs. So you don't actually have to use the C part. You can actually use these as, as assembly language routines and actually has handles the file system. So you don't have to do all of that. Because basically the discon routines that come built in that the Tandy recommends in the manual to use are very, very low level. It's like basically read and write sector. And that's pretty well it. It has no idea there's a directory or a file system or anything else or granule table or any of that. You have to do it all by hand. So this gives you a pre-done library that you can just call with some parameters and actually have it handle all that stuff for you. And it doesn't need the disk basic ROM. Uh, but he actually included this time an assembly language program, not rather than a C program, that actually shows you how to use it, basically. So that, that makes it a bit easier for people that are kind of new to this. And then if you scroll down a bit here, the other one he updated this week on November the 12th is B-Control. Um, and that particular one there, this is uh, some of the basic input functions that are similar to some of the basic things like in key, string, and the joystick, and the button commands for reading joystick buttons and reading the joystick X, Y axes, etc. cetera. Uh, but this also do not need the ROM routines because some games will use the uh, the actual color basic or extended basic ROMs to call these things. And then on a Cocoa 3 in particular, you have to like map stuff in and swap it out or whatever. 
and this is standalone, so you don't need any of that. So it's basically routines where you can not where you can make it so that your program does not require the ROMs to be temporarily mapped in or copied into RAM to eat some RAM in 64K. This will actually do it on its own. So you don't need to bring the whole darn ROM in just to read a joystick or just to read the keyboard. So uh, the other thing he added, you get a new call called joystick get access values and button state. Uh, which targets a single joystick and also works under OS 9. So the targeting single joystick, I think if I remember correctly, the basic ROMs actually sample both joysticks every time you call a joystick command. It always checks both of them. And that eats a fair bit of CPU time to sample both. And most games, you're usually only using one joystick at a time. You might swap between left and right between two players when they're taking turns. There are some games that use both. Project Nebula is one I can think of off the top of my head, Intercept 4. Uh, some other ones where they, they use both joysticks simultaneously with the same player. So obviously that wouldn't be any good for those types of games. But in most games, you're only doing one. And Nick, I'm pretty sure you also optimize your code. So you're not bothering trying to sample both joysticks at a time You to make it run fast or just sample the joystick you're actually using, correct? Uh, yes. Okay. So this gives you that same option in CMOX. So your joystick scanning, if you use this new updated B control, will be faster than it was before. And probably a little bit smaller in code, I imagine, if you're not having to sample both. So that's version 0.1.4. And the fact he's got it working under OS 9, OS 9 has its own calls for doing uh, joysticks and buttons. So I'm imagining he's just remapping those to get stats. But uh, at any rate, you can write a C program using CMOC for OS 9. And Pierre's done several games for OS 9 level 1, like his Color 8s game, for example. Um, where you can actually just, you know, it, it automatically just calls the OS 9 routines. And if you're running it for a disk-based program, it automatically uses its own libraries type thing. So you could even make a port of the game for both operating systems with not as many changes having to be made between the two. And he's done that on his Color 8s game as well. So hey, that's two library updates for CMOC. So you Curtis, can see here. real yep. quick, um, the thing is, if you scroll down right to the below the, where the downloads start, so look at the libraries and sample programs. One of the things I wanted to point out about his site is that this is a whole pack of pieces that are designed to help build Cocoa programs and Vectrex programs, for that matter, much easier. So you've got a library and example code for graphics, a library and example code for disk, for sound, for controls. And there's on the, as you dig through it, and it's worth taking the time to dig through this. If you dig through it, there's the high-res text code, there's auto-booting and, and boot track stuff, and it's laid out with public domain attribution, so you can use it to jumpstart building your game. And all the way at the bottom of the page in the, in the documentation section is um, CMOC for basic programmers. So if you are a Cocoa Basic or, or you know, programmer and, and you want to get into more of the C and assembly speed type stuff, there is a transition map to start with that can give you some, some starting places to how to take more advantage of all these code blocks quickly. So, I mean, there's one A-star, for example, graph traversal and path search. What the heck does that mean? Well, that's for moving your guys, your little NPC AI guys to attack you back. A-star is a way to find a path around a map for the guys chasing you. So there's all these little pieces that have been built up here as an example for people to take advantage of. And, and I really, really just wanted to thank Pierre for doing all this because I've looked through this. He's got a very interesting no-ROM keyboard routine. Then now with the no-ROM disk routine, 
you know, no ROM for the control stuff. You know, he's making it where you can get access to as much of the machine as possible easily to build your game and providing examples to start learning and working from. So Yeah, and he actually has complete game packages on here too. You can download some he's done himself, like the color eights, but he's also got like the uh what is it, the one by Jamie Cho here, uh Space Bandits, which is a Coca three multi-voice, high res graphic, digitized sound effects, the whole bit game. Quite quite a good one, actually. Um so yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. There's there's complete software packages that are ready to go and download if you're just interested in trying games and a ton of programming stuff, like you're mentioning, like libraries and explanations and sample programs and how to use them. It's a really nice package and it keeps updating it too. So I mean it gets more and more powerful as time goes on. And there's a big app example there for you know, you want to use up the whole 64k RAM with no ROMs or everything for your program. Here's a a a, a map to get to how to do that. Yeah. No, it's a it's a really nice package. I haven't had time to fiddle with it too much, unfortunately, but uh, I've been definitely following the progress of it. Yeah, for the programmers out there, or even for the, you know the people who just want to try some games here. I mean, the, like Space Bandits uh, is a Coco Three game that's on here. Um, there's Splinter, which is another one Jamie did for the Coco Three, which is kind of a breakout game. There's his own Color Rates program for the Coco One and Two. Um, there's just a ton of stuff. Spend some time, good. Good treasure in here. Yeah, I agree. Okay, now next up, uh, I was hoping Tim Linder was actually going to be on the show today. He could talk about this a little bit in further Tim detail. Tim Linder showed up. Oh, there you are. <laughs> so you did an update to the Coco SDC manual, I believe, the third edition? Yeah, I called it the third edition. Yeah. So since you're here, rather than me reading my notes, um, do you want to explain what has been updated? Sure. Let me go to your notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, some really small updates. Took about an hour. Um, I I got rid of the uh, the voice and tech uh, reference. Um, added some minimum configuration um, new information that I got from Darren. And in the Flash ROM section, I added a link and a screenshot to the new GUI um, that Guillaume made. That's about it. Oh, oh, and I also added a, a better explanation of the streaming mode that programmers have access to. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah, and actually, uh, that's what I wanted, since you're here, I would like you to touch on that a little bit there, because I think a lot of people have heard it has a streaming mode, but don't really know what that is and what it does, and why would you want to use it? Well, what it is, is it allows you to um, send uh, 512 bytes at a time any file on your SD card to the Coco. And it does it as fast as it can. Uh, it's under software control. We're not talking about any DMA or anything like that. But it allows raw access to the uh, underlying uh, file system on the SD card. Yeah. So, for example, I, like one thing I can think of, if you wanted to have a, a musical background and you have a pre-recorded like a an eight-bit WAV file, for example, mm -hmm. um, you could have it so it's a huge file. It's a you know full four-minute song. It's like ten megabytes long. You can just tell the SDC to point to that file and then mount it as a stream, mm -hmm. and then it'll just send you the bytes as soon as you read them. It, it has the other byte next byte ready, and you can yeah. literally just write those to the DAC. In the background, mm -hmm. kind of like what Nick's doing, you know, with uh, some of his background sound games, and just you don't have to like mix voices together. You don't have to like you know try to build a 
table of notes and stuff so you can get it to fit in 512K. You can just have the raw sampled right from a CD at 8-bit or 6-bit levels and uh, whatever, you know, frequency you can keep up with in your game and then just send it straight to the DAC. Just load, store, load, store, load, store. Yeah, Yeah. all under software control. Um, Auto-incrementing so you don't have to um, ask for the next block. It'll it'll just be provided next, uh, next automatically. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about programming the MU or anything. You just basically open a path to a file and, and, and Bob's your uncle and away you go. Yeah. So the, on the Discord this week, one of the uh, discussions was about how to get CAS file support into the SDC. And the streaming mode is one of the ways you can do that because you're able to go to the path and start loading in the cassette stuff directly without having to open a deck B disk image and locate that file within it and things like that. So exactly. this is, this is one idea that people were looking at. So there may be some upcoming changes soon where you could start supporting cast files right on the SDC. That would be totally, cool. Totally possible. Especially for the dragon users there because they use cast a lot more than we did. So that, and, that... and with the updated explanation and with the clearer sample code, Hopefully that makes it a bit easier for people to, to get the, the last mile on that. Another hidden feature of the new PDF is that the, the sample code has been attached to the PDF as files. So you don't have to copy and paste from the text. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, cool. PDFs can contain attachments. You don't happen to remember where that streaming thing is, eh? Uh, you're getting close. It's at the end of the programming section. Yeah, the end of that section right there. Okay. There it is. You passed it. It's on that last page. Oh, there Uh, we are. Stream. Number eight. Retrieve. uh, Yeah. Low-level streaming. So, like, Nick, this is something you might want to think, because, I mean, the SDC is a pretty real standard at this point. Yeah. So, it would actually simplify Ah, things for you, You could even set it up with, like, four bytes at a time. They would just read, you know, four bytes in a row and send it out to, like, an ORC 180 or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. and you don't have to worry about you know, incrementing MMU blocks or checking to see if you've wrapped an 8k space and all that kind of stuff you just tell it start sending me stuff and then you just do four loads and if you set up the right register you probably might even be able to do it with a straight push and do all four bytes in one push statement yeah so hopefully the, the the informational text is a little bit more clear. And of course, there's some sample code on using it in the PDF file. And um, uh, give it a look-see if you think it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, Ed's done some demo programs, I know, uh, on his site that actually use the streaming. Mm-hmm. I think he did his one that does the video and audio. Like, it literally plays like a full motion audio video thing, even on a Cocoa 1 and 2, Yeah, uh, using this mode. Where do we find this? In the Cocoa Archive. Yeah, the manuals in the Cocoa Archive, the demo program I just talked about, I think is on Zipster Zone. I don't remember where specifically on Zipster Zone, but that's where I think where I found it. So does this replace the old one? Yes, the old it manual? replaces yes. the old manual. Yeah, so basically a third revision with additions and stuff. The streaming mode was not in the original Cocoa SDC. That was something Darren added in. I'm not can't remember what year it was, but he added that more late. Yeah, you in, have to have the cycle. updated firmware to to have access to it. Yeah. Yeah, because I think Ed requ- or requested that from Darren, and then Darren added it in, and, and then they kind of collaborated. Firmware is available to download, so you can download it and flash it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you flash Actually, it's one of the few things you can flash directly from the Cocoa. You don't need one of that, what is it, Quanta or Quantus thing that you right. have to use for the Cocoa VGA and the Gimme X. 
This one you can actually do from the cocoa itself. Yeah, yeah. Darren really put together a solid package here with the SDC. Yeah. What's the uh, current version of firmware? Well, there is a link. Uh, if you go to the beginning of the of the PDF, there, um, Curtis, you, there is a link there that will take you to the web page. But I don't exactly know where. Is it still one point six? Mm, don't know off the top of my head. I checked okay. recently for myself, and yes, it's still one point six. Okay. And the uh, microcontroller hasn't changed in about the same amount of time. That's right, because there's two parts to it. Then they don't, don't usually get both updated at once, but yeah. And we should plug uh, Guillaume's uh, flash utility, uh, page 15 there. There should be a screenshot. Let's you um, copy data to the to the flash. Um, uh, to the flash, right. yeah, to the to the flash uh, banks on the Cocoa SDC with a lot easier than using command line utilities. Oh, cool! I didn't even know that existed. I hadn't had a chance to really go through this. So, yeah, because you got what eight banks total, I think. Yep. Yes. Cool. I believe it's RTFM. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> you can ask Nick how many users actually read his manuals. So. Thanks, Dave. Yes, <laughs> None. Dave <was> <laughs> now we have AFM, so that's something. So what was that, Alan? Uh, David Lab put the, the link in the chat. It's uh, cocosdc.blogspot.com. Gets you to uh, like the current firmware version and the manual download page for the CocoSDC. Yeah, and that downloads as a disk image you actually just put into your Cocoa SDC like any other disk image, and then you run the utility to install it and actually will do the update within the Cocoa itself, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty easy process. That Darren guy, he's like smart. He comes up with a cool package. Yeah, I just wish he took feature requests from me like he does from Ed, because I would really like to see 639 write TFM handled, because right now it's it's too fast. I have to slow it down. <laughs> That's just me. Coco feature creep forever. Yep. <laughs> and since Tim's here, I will actually mute this and you can kind of explain what this is. It's a Tears so, Eddie video tech software demonstration. I'll just say that for the audio listeners, but go ahead, Tim. Well, look at that handsome gentleman. Uh, Where? <laughs> Are we watching so, the same program? So uh, a few weeks ago, somebody posted the ROM to the to the AgVision, and for those who don't know, the AgVision is a terminal uh, device that Radio Shack and some other companies put together in the early '80s, so that farmers could have access to real time information. And um, so I got a hold of the ROM, and uh, with the help of George Phillips, who did most of the um, well, who basically did all. <laughs> uh, there's another emulator out there called the TRS-80GP, and he he, no, he mo normally focuses on the Z80 uh, TRS-80s. It's a really good emulator. And if, if you ever had need to to emulate one of the um, the Z80 machines, that's definitely when it should be one of your go-to. It plays Gem Hunter like a dream. But yep. anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a real test. But he uh, also uh, emulated the video text machine. And when the uh, when the AgVision ROM came out, I decided to sit down and add that to MAME. And, um, you know, it, it's not really useful if it doesn't have something to talk to. And, you know, on the Cocoa Archive, there's this document 
that lists all the features of of the communication software and and what it supports and what it does. And the more you read it, the more you go, this was available in 1981. Oh my gosh. And so I just decided to sit down and write a server that exercised all the features, you know, to make sure that the the emulator in MAME was working and uh, but also just to to see this stuff work. And yeah, it it has text positioning. It lets you write um you know, high bit characters so that you can do the low res graphics. And as you see here, it, it can send over a me what, what it calls medium res graphics. There's there's no mention of high res graphics. Who knows why? Um, and also, surprisingly, you can send over a whole Cocoa program. Um, you you can you can have the host uh, send over some sixty eight oh nine machine language code. And uh, it 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 hangs up the connection before it runs it. It specifically says that. Um, so it's not like you could take over the um, communications channel. Uh, but uh, it all seems to work, and I was uh, had a lot of fun writing the server. Yeah, and just looking like we're watching one of these medium res graphics. I'm, I think it's one twenty eight by ninety six two colors. That's what it is. That's right. And it's actually, it looks like it has run length encoding because it's 300 bob. You can see these bursts. If it's the same color it pixel, does. it does it it's, in chunks. It's already... Yeah. I believe it's the same uh, protocol that CompuServe used uh, later for some yeah, of their Yeah, there are Likud graphics, which they actually did support high res, like 256.92. And in fact, the Coco's on, on CompuServe, the Coco's uh, artifact colors were so popular. I remember the IBM PC got a... Uh, a, a program to run CompuServe Graphics 2 that actually simulated the artifact colors on the 320 screen, mm. just so they would look like the Cocoa ones did. <laughs> Can you move it along a little? <laughs> you don't want to watch this all in real time, Ron, at 300 baud? We don't have to watch the whole thing. There was one feature uh, listed in the technical document that, that I couldn't get to work, and that's the changing of the cursor color. Mm. Um, it just didn't seem to work. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, this is where you can really see the early <laughs> compression working because of all the black spaces. It basically yeah, a two-byte yeah. sequence, so it loads that's... quick until the zebra starts to fill in, and now it's slowing down. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of this particular that video text package in the AgVision is that it supported CompuServe B file transfer protocol. Uh, so it was, you know, kind of hardwired to give you the best benefit. Other than that, you just had to save it to a screen buffer. And then use some of the Rainbow Magazine hacks to like print out what you had downloaded. Yeah, or save them to disk too, or Biz tape. Biztext didn't even support printing to start with. The, that was a very early Rainbow hack thing. So uh, you know it was very hardwired for CompuServe, and you don't see any of those those extras being talked about or used much. And that support just kind of rotted away until. Tim came along and pulled it all back together real quick to demo it. So yeah, uh, so I remember Radio Shack actually uh, sold on behalf of CompuServe VidTex, not VideoTex, but VidTex, which is a disk-based yep. version, and that had a full CompuServe B protocol, which is basically a, a slightly less capable version of Zmodem. So it's full streaming blocks and the whole bit. It was actually quite an advanced protocol for the time. But that technical document does does talk about the CompuServe B protocol. But it doesn't have enough information to emulate fully. But uh, the documentation for this level of CompuServe B is out there. So, yeah. well, there's an OS9 version. I'm trying to remember who did it. Was it Mark Griffiths or Mike Dezidizic? Somebody did an actual CompuServe B upload download 
program for OS9 with C source code because I used to use it all the time and uh, it worked quite well. OS9 is a server uh, for video text terminals. Nice. Yeah. And here I'm demonstrating uh, how you could do stored text. The, the machine's not actually online right now. You're, um, you're using it in offline mode and you're, you're typing in text in a screen. But then when you do go into online mode, uh, these, the host can request that page and, and get the data you know, as fast as it can. Yeah, because one thing I do think most people, younger people especially, uh, you know, they used to the internet just being, you know, you might have a data cap at 10 gig or something like that. But back at this point in the early 80s, late 70s type thing, you paid by the minute. So yep. if you had to sit there and hand type in things and you're not the greatest typer in the world, it's costing you more money. So if you can pre-type it in using this buffer and then send it all in one shot at 300 baud, you can get it in and out in a minute, you know, type thing where it <laughs> might take you five minutes. I might save you five bucks <laughs> type of thing. This That's was horrendously the, expensive. Go if ahead. you could pause here, uh, I don't know if you can, but uh, it shows. Um, Let me go back a bit. It shows that P code uh, at the end of the data buffer. That's not something I actually typed in. That that's a code that's within the ROM, and it's one of the things that changes between the uh, AgVision and VideoText ROMs. So, oh, so there is a difference. Is that just an identifier? What is that? It's some sort of identifier that that it gets whenever it reads a, a page of the graphic screen. Uh, I have no idea how they used it, but it was there for every uh, page retrieval. Now, I've, I remember, I can't remember if you mentioned this video or if I read it somewhere else, but basically the AgriVision, the one that Terry Steggy is going to be getting soon here, hopefully by Tuesday, um, and the uh, Videotex ROMs, the only difference is this little identifier. Like Other than that, they're identical? Right. And how close is that to the Videotex cartridge ROM the Coco got? That one's pretty different because the uh, the interrupt uh, is c completely different between a Coco and a AgTex terminal, AgVision terminal. Uh, they had to rework it a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, of course, um, you know, on the on the AgVision, uh, the VideoTech software has the entire control of the RAM. But um, I, I I believe that the uh, the Cocoa version uh, uses the, um, the input output of the uh, basic ROM, so it has to keep the low memory variables um, available for the for the machine. Okay, so it actually calls some of the basic routines like what polecat and that kind of thing, or polecat, yeah, and char out, yeah. Okay, it's a it's a really good video if you want a bit of a history of uh, video techs and you know early Composer uh, protocols, etc. Yeah, I'm just hoping one day we get a, a a VCR recording, a videotape of of what the AgVision service looked like. I think that would be really neat. Yeah, I mean, I've, there's videos of like early CompuServe, et cetera, here, but the AgVision, which was kind of created as a sub-market for farmers, like I'm assuming they'd be getting like weather reports, maybe grain prices on yeah. the stock market or something. I have no idea. Oh, man, I recognize that horrible code. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Alan's code. He com he contributed to this project. So By the way, there's a sneak preview of what uh, Terry will, should have in his hot little hands here oh, in man, a couple I'd of days. I'd love to see that blue in real life. So, how did you write the server, or what you know? What did you use? I can't imagine. Well, um, there's a technical document on the Cocoa Archive that uh, goes into excruciating detail about how the bytes are transferred between uh, the host and the client, uh, and then I just wrote it. I I wrote it in Python. Okay, and then you send it. How did you hook up to the um, to the hardware? 
I'm um, connecting to an emulated version under MAME. Oh, okay. So what we're seeing wasn't on hardware. That's right. So was that Becker port or the MAME serial port? The MAME serial port. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, baby. Fancy FPGA thingies. Yep. What, 300 what baud, did, baby. That's all you need. <laughs> what year did the uh, AgVision come out? Well, it's a little indeterminate. Uh, it might have come out in very, very late 79, uh, which would have made it uh, one of the first 6809 machines ever. Um, otherwise, it came out in the um, er, early 1980, before yeah, the Coco. It, yeah, the Coco got announced in the summer of 1980. And I think the Videotex was announced around February or March. When we were going through a few months back there, all well, those internal Tandy magazines for the employees and stuff. They were talking about the Ag Vision and stuff, and it was definitely before the Coco even was announced in their own internal magazine. So, so the Fairlight was before this. Oh yeah, uh, Fairlight. Yeah, with Fairlight, that I think it was seventy nine. I think um, I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah, but this would have been late really? seventy nine if it did come out. Yeah, it's about that period. Because mm -hmm. the six eight hundred nine itself was only announced around that time, wasn't it? Seventy eight, seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. The early Fairlight used a 6800 of some sort. The second version used Yes, actually, you're right. It was a 6800. Yeah, and that chip had been out since, what, 74 or something, I think. So. Yeah. There, it was a really cool video. I mean, I, I, I know some of the history of the AgVision from reading it in, in Boise and Bill's book. Um, and also, I remember the Videotex terminals and, and RadioTech stores, the gray ones. I remember those quite vividly being there, but... Uh, Actually, getting the protocol running and seeing what it actually looked like, actually doing things like it was supposed to—that that I had not seen before. What did the Fairlight use for uh, VDG? Like, did it, it had its own circuitry. It didn't so use a. It didn't use the reference design of Motorola. No, 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 it didn't. And it had multiple CPUs. It wasn't just one though. Right. Yeah. Did it yeah, have it multiple 6809s? Uh, it did in the the second one. I'm not oh. sure in the first one, but it had a it had a whole card for one DAC channel. So each DAC channel had a CPU had its own CPU and ran. And there was one master CPU that ran the actual computer. So it was multiple 6800s or or 6809s. Um, yeah, you know it, it's funny that you bring up the the, the Fairlight because another thing that I'm really interested in is in a different um, synthesizer called um, the Insonic Mirage, and it yes. also used the 6809. And it, its oh. its claim to fame is that it uses a sound chip that was invented by the guy who did the SID for the Commodore 64. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so there are a lot of people who really the, uh, have great respect the, for his technical well, ability. Is, the yeah. Apple II GS uh, has uh, that chip, I think. Yep. Yes. Yes, Tinsonic. Yeah. So, Terry, we're really hoping you can make it next weekend. I don't know with Thanksgiving if you're busy with the family on the weekend. Like, do we have to wait a whole two weeks to see the Egg Vision once again? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try to. I was going to also say uh, there's one other version of the video text out. Oh, here, let me quit sharing so we can show everybody that. You want to zoom them up, Mark? Yep, yep, yep. There he is. 
This version? The TDP oh, version. Oh, look at that. <laughs> wow. There's the TDP version. He'd be the guy who'd have it. Yep. <laughs> is the cartridge label TDP as well? It is, if I can get it out of there. Gosh dang it. Come uh. on. Live unboxing. <laughs> Look at I don't that. Know if that or not. Yeah, there it is. TDP right there. Awesome. So is another, that ROM dumped? Somewhere? Another ROM I need. Yeah, I'll have to <laughs> I'll have to dump that. I'm I'm actually even surprised the user manual. It even has the TDP logo on it too. Oh. Wow. I I didn't know that existed. <laughs> I actually have two of them, if you can believe that. See, you've got the world <laughs> supply at this point. Yeah, the only <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Another thing I want to mention is Mark Siegel on the Discord meant, uh, said that there was a French version of the Videotech software that used different speeds for receive and transmit, but that was the only uh, special detail he revealed about it. Yeah, that was the that they had that split baud rate for send and receive 1275 or something like that something really weird can't remember the details but i do remember they added that it was something fairly unique to that market now the mc10 would have made a very good video text terminal compact and it only needed the vdg which it had so if only it had a keyboard (laughs) well it had and the microcontroller contains a uart that they never used yeah and programmable timers so it would have made a, a better uh, agricultural machine than the cocoa. Have you seen fingers on the fat fingers that farmers have <laughs> working on all that equipment there? You'd go to press the yeah. space bar and you'd hit half the keyboard. So That's why I collect them. <laughs> you know, back in the day, I hooked up a um, Model 1 keyboard, chiclet keyboard, to a MC-10. I don't know. I don't remember how I did it, but it must have been in one of the magazines or something. Because uh, at the time, you mean a Cherry City Model One or a Coco Model One? Which Coco Model One keyboard, like a chicle, okay, chicle keyboard. Yeah, I put it in a little box and I had a ribbon going out into the MC10. Somehow, um, I got it to work. <laughs> I'm not a hardware guy, but at that time, I did it. I don't know. I yeah, because I, I thought you were maybe referring like I know Color Computer News in 1982 or late 81 actually had how to take a Model One keyboard yeah. with the numeric keypad from the Tier City Model One and put it into a Coco exactly where to cut the case to get it to fit, huh. and then how to wire it in, and you actually would have the full thing with a working keypad right in the main Coco One case. Hmm. And I did see one or two people around my area in the club that actually did do that, so I got to see that live and actually try it. You know, Ron said something uh, offline uh, a couple hours ago. I would love if anybody has one. They converted one of these. uh, What were you saying, Ron? They converted one of these terminals to a Coco? Coco. Yep. It was a Coco one at the time. This was in 84 at the um, Rainbow Fest. Um, A guy brought it out. In fact, I asked um, Steve Bjork if, if he remembers. He don't. But at the time... It was the big stir of the show was the the guy doing a talk about how he, he used the he made the keyboard work and the printer and you know it had a line out for see he probably had one of the first portable cocos. Yeah. Wow. Was it was a printer built in. 
Yeah, yeah Pritchard, Modem, Carrying Case yeah. Fletcher had competition. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Comment was- from Wayland in the chat, too. He said 1200 slash 75. Uh, was common because people can't type as fast as the screen can be filled. So you get 1,200 baud for receiving the data you're going to read on the screen. Typing was only at 75 baud going up, which actually is a pretty good compromise, to be honest. Yeah, it makes for cheaper hardware if you can um, uh, save costs on transmit. Yeah. That's funny. We were talking about CompuServe earlier. Remember logging in at 300 because it was cheaper for conferences because <laughs> you can't type that fast? So, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, different prices for different speeds. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, we we wait until after midnight on a weekend when it was cheaper. Go on at the higher baud rate just to download software that was on the forums, and then if you wanted to do interactive chat or whatever, you go you know do it slow because cheap. Well, cheaper relatively anyway. Uh, I remember having to mow about thirty lawns this summer just to pay for my eight hundred dollar phone bill. My dad <laughs> was so happy with me. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah, I you did know, that too. Uh, I have a. a some files that are saved um you know and i used to use them with my um vavasaur's um emulator and i'm thinking how did i get these um files and then i just realized recently that those were from when i downloaded from bulletin boards or whatever CompuServe or whoever you know so they were um hit and miss and different things you know that i picked and saved and I, I'm looking at it thinking, now, how did I get these? You know, <laughs> and then I realized it was from those days of downloading, you know, late at night. Yep. Yeah, I remember those days well. Yeah. Uh, Mikey uh, Furman in the, in the chat here mentioned, I remember this video because we featured it when he brought it out here. But he said, yeah, it was a video starring the PT210 terminal. It's called Coco Conversations. We had the two computers talking to each other. Yep. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So anyway, I thank what... thank you very much, Tim, for for making that uh, demo and stuff there because that's uh, like I said that's the first time I actually seen video techs actually running since the early '80s when they demoed it in the store once in a while. Terry mm. Steggy, what's in that? What's the processor in that 210 thing? You know, I don't know. I've I've not opened it. I need to open that and see. Hmm. Mikey might know, so he can right? he can pipe up in the chat if he knows. Yeah, I bet you Mikey know. would know. You think it's a Z80? Probably, I, it's I guess. Probably an sure. Intel i3, I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe an ARM. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on to the next story. Speaking of the Ag Vision here, this is the one that Terry actually posted under his uh, YouTube channel named Retro Tech Time. And these are pictures from the actual auction you won, right? So this is yep. the actual machine you will be receiving. You yeah, I, I it actually it wasn't even an auction. The guy posted it as a buy it now, and I just hit the button. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> believe I got eight, eighty bucks, so I was pretty happy. Okay. You're not sharing. Oh, am I not? Okay, share here. Come on, Curtis, we're waiting. There you go. Cord that for eighty bucks. I did. <laughs> wow. Right Is that now? an LED? By now. There's going to be a lot of jealous people both in the chat yes, and an here on LED. the panel and listening to the sh- watching the show later, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty stoked. I've been looking for one for for years. My uh, uh, my grandpa, actually, they had one um, that he put up at the local bank <laughs> and they used it quite a quite a few years, but 
I don't know whatever happened with that one. And they'd gotten another system that had some kind of a satellite um, feed to replace it. And I've always, always regretted I didn't get that one. So I was pretty happy to at least find one. You know, we figured cooler? out. But we figure out what the stands for. Like it says, what is it, Ejanko or something like that? Uh, you Lanko can look it something? up on Wikipedia. It's the name of the company that was they're an agricultural based company at the time that was getting into this project. And uh, my theory is that the AgVision Blue is because that came from their logo. Notice the uh, red, green, blue, just like on the cocoa. Yeah. And the label placement, label size, I think is the same as the first gen Cocoa yep. Ones, too. And they did put it, is this oh. an activity light or a power light here for the uh, modem? I can't remember. I believe it's like the video tech. I think it's power. There is, power. A word, there is a word there. There were a few, a few the computers. There were a few computers back in around the late 70s that were blue. That's why I thought maybe the blue was the a fashionable thing for a computer back then. Things like the uh, Ohio Scientifics. Um, There's yep. a few other. Uh, and, yeah, blue was the color of those. So do you think this is a Mercedes blue? <laughs> <laughs> it looks a bit. It looks shiny, yeah. <laughs> it looks like they put the, uh, the LED where the RAM badge goes. Yeah. Yeah, they did. In fact, the little RAM badge thing is still there. Just a, a, a you know, just memory put the LED goes. in the middle <laughs> Yeah. Did you get a picture of what it says under the light, under the LED? I'll have to see here. And if, according to this, I mean, if the serial numbers are serious here, there's at least 2,200 of these made. But I don't know if that includes the gray ones and the blue ones or not. So, Yeah, I wonder if somebody else has one with a number on it. November 80. Hmm. Yeah, so that would have been just after the Coco 1 got released because it was announced in was it June or July. Of 1980, I think they went on sale by around September, October. So by November, they were up to 2,200 and something if the serial numbers mean anything. That's cool. And here you can see it's using the same case molding, but they didn't actually punch out where the joysticks, et cetera, went because they didn't need them. And if you look at the board, they're probably not there, right? Yeah, I think the board's a fair bit different. I mean, Terry, you've got older video text terminals already. I'm assuming the motherboard's a bit different. It is different, and I stand corrected. Um, that that light is a data. That I don't know if you can read well, that. Let uh, Mark share share you again. Make him full screen. You don't need to see me. So it says data, not power. Yeah, if I get that up there right. Yeah, it should be active when you have a phone connection. Yeah, so you, should, you know to keep waiting. <laughs> it's yeah, to keep yeah, waiting. Well, more likely so, so you don't leave it on, you don't need it. So you're not paying by the minute. Yeah. <laughs> that got expensive, especially here from Canada where we had an extra surcharge to use well, data pack to access Telnet, to access the source, search copy, whatever is like 30 bucks an hour by the time you get all done. So it should have been a green LED for the money being spent? Yeah, that's the money line. <laughs> morning, morning. Hey, Carol, all you need is a phone line. Terry, you ought, you ought to um, take a, um, something and cut out that side panel there where the, you know, ROM pack goes in. I don't think he's going to be modifying something that no, way. And then stick a ROM pack in there and, <laughs> and then get a picture of it, you know, saying you don't, you only have, you have the only one that runs ROM packs. Put a video tech pack in there, right? Yeah. yeah right. right. Hey, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm online on two fun. services at once now. Better, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Multi-video text. Yeah. That's a cool bit of history. I'm 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 I mean, I personally when I'll give myself because I'm not a collector per se, but that is one I do want to see in person at some point because it's it's rare. Yeah, I was just blown away. I will uh definitely bring it to Coco Fest. Might have to put it under lock and key. Right. <laughs> Might have to hawk it to afford to come back the way gas prices were, but He's going to show up like Elwood Blues with it in a briefcase locked to his wrist. And- yeah, right. <laughs> do like they do with the uh, original Apple uh, board. You know, they have it in a glass case. Yeah, and an armed security guard by it or something. Right. That's <laughs> yeah, that's, Ron, that's a bit of history. Some glasses and some earpieces. Will you protect it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We'll store it at my place just in case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would say Ag Vision is still a company. They are still in business. I don't know if that's. Oh, they probably got 12 of these suckers in their uh, office. So I, I actually contacted about two years ago. I contacted the company and asked them if they had like a historian or anything. Of course, they. They kind of laughed about that. (laughs) um, (laughs) I did ask if they had any um, like retired folks that may have been around during this. And the one lady replied back to me and said she was forwarding my information on, but I've, I've never heard back. So if I do, that'd be awesome. I'd just love to get, see what the box looked like, see what the manuals looked like in it. But yeah, and as Tim was mentioning earlier, I'd love to see a video of it actually running to see what the farmers were actually yeah, exactly. getting for the service. A commercial, that'd be awesome. How they sold it. <laughs> and you would think that they would have that at their business. One of their corporate demos or introduction videos or something from, from the days. Yeah, it sounds like they've been sold multiple times, so I'm sure that's just been lost to time. Yeah, that's too bad. Anyway, thanks, Curtis. Yeah, and uh, definitely looking forward to seeing it on the show. You can kind of show us what it actually looks like in real life. I will do yeah, that. Are, are you Just gonna... don't drop it on the floor like that guy with the drum memory type thing. <laughs> yeah, are you going to promise not to put, you know, take the guts out and put a uh, modern PC in it? I will promise you 1,000%. <laughs> I will not do that. <laughs> but it'd look good with an i5. <laughs> <laughs> or a Raspberry Pi. There, you there go. it is. I knew someone was going to say it. <laughs> but I couldn't help myself. All right. Uh, continue on with the news here. So the next one is from Kelly Computer Programming. And this is where he was starting to learn to use the built-in timer function. The fact that you can reset it. The fact that you can actually... It's a background timer. So it runs while your basic program is running. So you can kind of keep track of how many seconds have passed, etc. So I'm not going to play the video. It's 20 minutes long, but it's him kind of exploring how it works and trying to get it to time, like changing the color of the screen, et cetera. So um, he had like a typo in his... Real-time his, clock or what? Sorry, what? It's a real-time clock? Not... Well, it's a real-time timer. It's not a real-time clock. It doesn't have a clue what the time is. It just says, you know, so once you set it to zero, it's going to count to 60 every second. So you can... You know, if you do at 120, you know it's two seconds since you last reset it. Yeah, it just counts ticks. Tick, 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 tick. Yep, these sync ticks. How many ticks have happened? And wraps at 65,535, which is 18 minutes and some odd seconds. How many ticks did your dog have? 
65,536 counting from zero. Anyway, the, the funny thing is that he, he sent me uh, a comment on his YouTube link here because I've, I've been kind of helping him with some suggestions and stuff. And he mentioned that the, the game he's working on, which we showed a few weeks back, uh, he's actually now using the timer to time the music he was playing at the beginning to cut it off so the player has some time to you know actually play the game rather than just playing the music until he hits something. So he's kind of using it in a primitive way exactly like Nick does to do the background music on his games in machine language. Except, of course, Except his probably doesn't sound as bad. <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 cool that the exact same technique of using the VSync tick timer can be used by a machine language programmer to do like multi-voice music in the background on Coco One or Two by Nick, and a basic program can use it to do some music stuff and basically when to cut it off in the background after you've played for so long, just from straight basic, you know, no machine language whatsoever, no machine language knowledge whatsoever. So it's a pretty powerful uh, program or. Uh, Command. statement for, for for a command for basic uh, that you can use for a lot of things so you can use it to pause like uh, a floor next you know yeah like in that like i know the color basic manual because color basic itself did not have a timer that was extended basic so the color basic manual says on a coco one or two if you do a four next from one to 460 that's roughly a second um but you can actually use the timer uh to do it the same way do it just by counting to 60 uh, is a second type thing so you can use it for timers, but you can also use it because it runs in the background. Like a foreign next loop, you basically lock the machine up doing a foreign next loop. That's all it's doing. But if you want to be able to say, have a timer in a game you're writing in basic and you want this level to end after 10 minutes or something like that, if the player takes too long, you can actually just keep moderate. You can set the timer to zero when they start the level and then you just keep checking. And once it's 10 times 60 or 10 times 60 times 60, uh, then you know that that's time to end the level. So you can actually do that without you having to write some weird code trying to figure out how much time has passed. It, it, it'll do it for you, basically. You just have to just monitor when it hits that number. Uh, next up, uh, I will play the little intro of it here, and then I'll let you guys watch the rest of it. So TG, TJB Chris... I was done multiple videos on a Coco 3 and the various model 3s and 4s, the Coco 2, etc. He's done some stuff on OS 9 Nitrous 9. Uh, he actually finally picked up a Color Computer 1, and he got a pretty good deal. It was almost as good as as Terry's getting that gag vision. Maybe not quite that good, but um, I'll play the little bit where he kind of shows you what happened. And then he does some demos where he's actually trying it out, and he, he runs a game on it. He runs a, 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 an actual application on it, and then he also runs... Oestein level one on it just to kind of show it all running here, but I'll just let you see what he got for what, and then you can watch the rest of the video on your own. Greetings, everyone. TJB Chris here. Welcome back to the channel. Thank you for joining me. Tonight, I want to share with you a not-so-recent acquisition, this Radio Shack TRS-80 color computer. And Ooh, this was model. an eBay find. It was the whole lot was 70 bucks plus 70 bucks shipping, which might sound high, but it was actually... For all you see, not television, of course, but everything you see here. Machine, Black Beauty joysticks, CCR81 cassette recorder, blank cassette in packaging, stack of cassettes, some in packaging, some not with software on them. Ah, uh, and the best Color one, scripts Color Scripset. Another version of Scripset for me to play with, yay. These cassette <laughs> labels with a realistic branding, in original packaging unopened, and this manual for the game, Madness and the Minotaur, which did not come with a machine. The Black Beauty joysticks are the aluminum handled ones even. Look at that. 
So tonight I'm going to walk through exactly what I got with this machine real quick, and we're just going to power it up and kind of put it through a little bit of its paces, but nothing too fancy. So let's get to it. Anyway, I'll let you guys watch the video to catch all that there, but that's that's a pretty good oh, deal for man. 70 bucks. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, just, I mean, that's pretty well the same Coke White, except I had a 4K badge. He has a 16K badge in his, so he's obviously upgraded 16K at Radio Shack. But the original aluminum joysticks, the original uh, cassette player and stuff, that's that's a pretty good deal. I'm not quite sure why you had to pay $70 shipping. I guess it's just the bulk of getting everything in there. But I mean, Oh, shipping the... prices these days is just ridiculous, Curtis. Oh, it has? I haven't shipped anything in a while. So, so Curtis, um, uh, Model 1 like that was a 4K um, badge on it. Do you think it's worth more? I don't know. I'm not a collector. Like That doesn't matter to me. So... I don't know. I, I I don't follow that really. I'm 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 like me because I'm a user. I I get cocos to use. I don't get them to put them on a shelf and look at them. I get them to actually use. So in my case, I upgrade everything to the max as I can as soon as I can. So yeah. I'm not the right guy to ask. Brian Weasler would probably be the best person that would have you know yeah. what he's yeah. seen and all his looking and. Stuff. I only said that because you said that you had one with the 4K badge. Yeah, my my D board aluminum joystick, Coco one that I got in 1981. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking that that's probably a little bit nicer to have. And I have one, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Mine mine was a bit different though because you see where you have that nice silvery gray paint on the bottom. Yeah, the curve there under the keyboard. Mine had completely worn black plastic showing through it because of how much I used the darn thing. And of course, if you got the later F boards, it was white underneath, not black. Now, listen, um, they call stuff like that patina, sort of, but this is actually in reverse because it's actually taken the paint off. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. You wore it off to the black plastic and then later the white plastic for the later Coco ones. I don't remember if that – I think it was black for the D, see-through E boards, and I think it was white on the F, but there might have been a bit of a transition there where it was kind of mixed between them. Anyway, it's a really, really good haul for him, I think, to get some like real vintage stuff for cheap. And this machine, I don't know if he upgraded himself. I can't remember from the video or not if it came this way, but it actually has 64K RAM in it with extended basic. It's not just a, a 16K standard basic machine, as the label indicates. And it's got color scripts. It- yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, that's the gold mine, obviously. I mean, I know you've best- got Jumpin' Joey up, but come on, scripts it. That, that's the oh, yeah. <laughs> scripts, it's the best game ever written on the Kogo. I think we're going to probably mess up the new Coco guys that are watching. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to get one of them. (laughs) Some of these claims may not be entirely accurate. That will be my warning. Uh, Next up we have, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. We've actually featured his channel before, uh, HeroDub2D on YouTube. So he does these little bits, and he's done little bits in the Coco. These quick little videos basically just showing it turning on and and showing a Coco 2, a Coco 1, etc. This one, he actually runs a little bit longer. It's a little over two minutes, and he basically just does some very basic basic programming, like CLS and print and that kind of stuff. But then he does some math routines and loops and stuff to kind of show the floating point, et cetera. So it's basically just a little demo of Coco Basic. I won't run it here, but uh, glad he's actually getting exploring the machine a bit more than just turning it on and showing that it works. Next up, Kim Justice, who's a, a rather large YouTuber in the UK and covers a whole bunch of retro systems, usually with a gaming Alice. bent. So this is from the Retro Computer Festival in 2022 at Cambridge, I believe. 
And uh, there's whole segments here on different chunks of the machines that they were showing off. So this little section here I'm going to play is covering anything Coca-related. Now, this covers, it has Coca 1, 2s, and 3s, and Dragon 32s, the Alice's you can see here. Uh, it's even got a CP400 from Brazil that we just had on the show recently, too. So, and Tony Jewell, who's actually very active in the uh, Dragon forum on Facebook, is actually kind of posting a little bit of this here. But I'll let uh, let you guys see that part where you can kind of see our side of the fence at one of these big retro shows that covers a variety of machines. And yet, it's bad. But it does make for a nice segue to Here Be Dragon's Wares, a mixture of real machines and clones. You've seen two Matra Alices that look identical, but one's a horrible cheap clone that holds one measly kilobyte of memory. Not exactly good for 1983. This CP400 here is a Brazilian clone of the Tandy Coco. Also quite cheap and cheerful, although not that bad. Next to it, we have two quite well-known machines, the original Silver Coco and the Dragon 32. Now, the Dragon is often called a clone of the Coco, which isn't necessarily accurate. They're more like cousins, and the Dragon was far more successful over here. Tony told me about Tandy's arrogance when it came to selling the Coco in the UK. They tried to sell it for £399, the same price as it sold for in the US, but without any conversion. The Dragon 32 was sold for half of that price and is just about the same machine. It's also better looking and has a far superior keyboard. Needless to say, the Coco failed miserably in the UK as a result. It's not all bad here for Tandy, mind you. This Video Genie system here is a lovely clone of the TRS-80 from Hong Kong. That's the system that's in nice Australia. Indeed, complete yeah, with a bit that's why I'm still action, playing it. And it's one in the very impressive TRS-80 version of Zaxxon. Not bad at all for a computer that goes all the way back to 1977. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Well, that particular one, but they're talking about the technology from the Model 1 that it's cloning. Oh, from, from the Model 1. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was pretty cool to see a kind of a, like a, a Coco Dragon area and, and also see the, the Alice and an Alice clone. Sorry, go ahead. I think it was Alan who was talking. Yeah, just I got to disagree with that whole what looks better than what commentary. No, <laughs> no, they look great. And that Mercedes gray is awesome. And the dragon is awesome, and you don't be trying to, you know, throw shade like that. So, no. I, I will let Kieran answer that in the chat. We'll see what he says yeah. since he actually lived through that himself, yeah, too. Correct. I will agree with the fact that the keyboard in the dragon is far superior than the Coco Ones or the Coco Twos. Then, yes, that, yeah. the keyboard, no contest. But it just this whole aesthetic look thing. Nah. Yeah, and it did have a parallel printer, a real one port which would have been nice too so i in some ways it was superior i have to agree yeah, now aesthetic wise i mean that's obviously up to the viewer what your aesthetics are <laughs> but uh i can kind of go either way on that one just depending i i, I prefer the cocoa because that's what i grew up and was used to yeah i was sensing a little bit of uh overseas bias in that whole what looks better <laughs> so yeah i'm just gonna have to stand up for the colonials and say no well we'll have to see if karen is brave enough to respond to this in the chat we'll have to see what he says here <laughs> plus he said the uh first the other one it, it it got to cheat just take a look at what's already done anyway well we can talk about it offline <laughs> erico he says in the chat you know that alice takes it all anyway it doesn't matter what the coke of the dragon looks like so he ahead, said man. that the uh, it was three ninety nine in in the US, Pounds. but the dragon didn't come out. The dragon didn't come out till 
82. So really that ad wasn't current for when the Dragons came out. That ad looked like it might have came out early. Yeah, I think the main point there wasn't so much what the price was in that specific commercial. The problem was is at that time it took $2.12 or something like that US for a pound. But they didn't change the price. So if it was one ninety nine states, it was one ninety nine pounds, which would be like four hundred and ten dollars uh, if you converted the equity. They all they did was they just change the symbol from a dollar sign to a pound sign. They didn't change uh, the price. And at the time, wouldn't that have made the Apple real expensive? Well, no, that was Tandy's own decision to sell their own stuff that way. So, I mean, that's why the Dragon outsold it. I mean, the Dragon sold four hundred thousand machines in a year and a half. So they priced it like an Apple. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they would have been a much more much more competitive if they actually made it. You know, obviously there's bad tax or whatever it was called back then, but uh, that would have been a bit different. But it it was overpriced for what it should have been. They were just and they to... didn't even carry the three. No, no. Anyway, if you're interested in other uh, retro machines from the UK and Europe, there's a ton in that video that. Kim Justice goes through a whole bunch of families of computers there. So if you're into other retro computers as well, well worth taking a look at the whole video. Link will be in, of course, the Discord show notes. Next up, uh, Tony Lucari, who I believe is a fellow Aussie to uh, Nick here. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Nick. Uh, I haven't heard of him. Okay. So he kind of rejoined the Coca community here, and he's got a ton of stuff. Now, one thing he's been trying to do is recover floppies. Now, I know Brian Palmer and a few others responded because he said that he's found a whole boatloads of floppies that he's going to be trying to read uh, from his Coco days. And Brian is hoping that some of the missing pieces, and I, I honestly saw my, some of the software we cannot find. Like There's a few, few from Tasmania, for example, that one basic graphics compiler thingy that you found the manual for, but nobody has a disk for. I'd love to see that, for example. So I'll read this out loud since you can't see it if you're listening to the audio version of the show. But he said, something I found out about floppies that are not working or dirty. Gently cut the side of the floppy and remove the disc without vigorously bending it and insert it into warm soapy water and dry it with some old sheet, preferably flannelette, very soft cloth, put it back in the sleeve. Believe me, I have gotten so many floppies going again because of this. Not always successful, but does work. Even better if you have a new sleeve, sometimes dry sleeves prevent it from reading properly. So he's been recovering some of these discs and some other people did some comments, but that's something I've actually never tried. Has anybody done that? or something similar to try to read an old floppy that just won't work, that has some irrecoverable yeah, code on it. That's fine. I that's exactly, it. that's exa exactly it too. Warm soapy water, keep the cookie flat, the, the inner mylar part, uh, warm soapy water, very gentle. Don't scrape the surface off and then dry it with a sheet that is much like the inner liner of the floppy itself. Put it back in. Okay. You probably I've never personally tried this. I do have some floppies that I have, that has some code I don't have anywhere else. It doesn't exist anywhere else. I've kept them, but I've never tried to do anything. Maybe I'll have to give this a shot. When your little sister spills stuff in, into your disc box and whatnot, you get desperate. And yeah, uh, what I would do is take a razor blade and slice the uh, the back of the, the sister. Oh, it over. No, Nick, she's still around. <laughs> um, but no, on the back of the floppy, you can see like tabs where it's folded over on many of them. And I would just slice under that and open the floppy back up where it had been folded and glued. So rather yeah, because it was on three sides, side, they glued it on right at right at the edges. I remember. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so you just cut that back apart underneath, and then you can put the floppy back, and it doesn't look like it was even opened. 
And if it still doesn't work, you put the insert back in upside down and you need to flip it over and put it back in the sleeve. Correct. <laughs> yeah, that's just about every time until you learn to remember which side the, the ring stiffener was on. <laughs> yeah. Now, we did get some responses from Six, and he says, hmm, I missed the question, sadly. The smiley face, which I don't know means if he really missed or if he just doesn't want to comment. But then he said the keyboards, though, Dragon 64 Alps keyboard was lovely looking and great to type on, but they definitely break more readily than the Dragon 32 keyboard, which I forget the make of. Uh, I want to say GoTech, but isn't that some HXC floppy emulator? Like, yeah, that's what a GoTech is. Uh, and he also says that key Cocoa keyboards I have are a bit squishy for me relatively. I mean, the Cocoa keyboards didn't improve. The Chicken one was serviceable, I guess, is probably the gentlest thing I could say, think about. It's better than Atari 400 ZX81. Um, the Coco 2 melted keyboard was an improvement, a bit more travel. The Coco 2 full travel and the Coco 3 keyboards are pretty good, but they're still not up to dragon level standards, I don't think, they which do is kind of like the Mark Adda products keyboard, if any of you have tried those. Yeah, they have that squish he's talking about. Yeah, the, the keyboards were no contest. But the way that that comment was made was, oh, yeah, this, you know, this, this is garbage, and this other thing is that's the epitome. And no. It's not that far <laughs> apart. <laughs> I'm just waiting for you to call, comment on Kim Justice's video directly and see what her response is. Right. 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 <laughs> and that's that's pretty cool. I will I maybe have to try that. I have I've heard some people doing something similar or along the similar lines. And since you guys have actually done it successfully and recovered discs, I, I think I will have to give that a shot for some of my lost stuff. It might still be corrupted, who knows? But at least it's not readable now. So what am I gonna lose, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but you these days you have to also be real careful with the temperature because the 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 glue binding has also probably dried out. So check very carefully for cracks before you start flexing or moving anything heavily, because that can actually flake off some of the surface media. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, I don't know. This is a Sir David Ladd question. I don't know if gently baking the floppies will help re. Uh, you'll restore the binder enough like you can with tapes. Hmm. I honestly don't know. Most of the recoveries I've done for stuff has been, you know, they've gotten something on them or a little bit of mold's been growing on them. So it's like distilled warm water, soaking the floppy disc itself out of the sleeve, then using a new donor sleeve after the disc has been rinsed in distilled water and then i attempt to use the grease weasel to recover the data i knew so, you're gonna sneak a grease wheels to reference in oh the yes gotta love that grease weasel if you get mold or if the if the liner inside the old floppy cover gets uh material soaked into it then you do want to throw that out so uh, the donor sleeve thing is if the, the rest of the floppy sleeve is not good. Yeah. Take the cookie out and put it in a new, uh, a new sleeve instead of putting it back in the old one. And just recreating the problem again, it. basically. Yeah. And we can uh, uh, definitely not recommend this suggestion from the peanut gallery saying that they can use a wire brush and a garden weasel. <laughs> <laughs> what about, what about, what about cookies and bacon? Is it Canadian bacon? <laughs> I just heard cookies. Now I'm hungry. So let's hurry up and finish the news. Oh, um, and the other thing I want to note: there's have been rumors in multiple videos on YouTube about using isopropyl alcohol. Absolutely, do not use 
isopropyl alcohol on floppy disks or cassettes. Because no. <laughs> it, it, it basically destabilizes the bonding agent. You basically wipe the, the rust off the mylar and you now have a transparent disk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, and the last two stories I've got for today are both MC10. So the first one here uh, is posted on the MC10 group on Facebook by Steve Blakely, and I've not seen him do much else on there, so I don't know if he's a newer user or just has been silent for a while, or I just forgot his name because my memory sucks. Um, but he said he's tested this on Linux, the results may vary, and he said type slowly in the MC10 for best results. What he's done here is he's created a terminal program for the MC10 that lets it talk to a DT1 terminal. And he gives a bit of an explanation here, and you can actually download the actual software from the Facebook group itself, the MC10 Facebook group, and give it a shot yourself. Um, now, he does mention a couple of things here. Um, use Clodem to load it, uh, then left all the settings stand to 300 baud, but other people can experiment. Press the break key and the enter key. The MC10 screen will look blank. Now, everything you type on the MC10 will appear in the DT1 emulation, but not echoed on the MC10 screen. So he's only going in the one direction due to MC10 emulation, have fun type thing. So I think if I remember correctly, there was a terminal program that Radio Shack sold. I think it was Microcolor Compact. So kind of a clone of the Color Compact that they did for the Coco. Yep. Uh, for the MC10. Yep. Which That's was fun. fairly simple from what I remember, but it was it was perfectly serviceable to log into an ASCII text BBS, right? Yeah, yes. and they made a Coco version it. of the same thing. Right. Now, with the MC10, because it actually, I mean, it had a bit banger, same as we did, but it actually had a real serial controller in it too, didn't it? It did, but it was unused. Okay. Would, would the programmable timers that had on the 6803 itself enable you to make a, a more robust uh, terminal program than we did having to do it all through software loops in ours? Uh, that would be I don't know if anybody's experimented. Because to me, it would make sense if it's a programmable timer and it's it's got a you know enough finesse to it, you should be able to like do like twelve hundred baud easier than we did because we had to do it through software timing loops. And if you're trying to do full duplex where you're sending and receiving at the same time, that's a real bear's butt to try to do properly. I imagine having the the different software timer or hardware timers built in the MC10 might have actually made it better for that kind of thing than the Coco. Well, on this DT1 experiment, he may not be getting anything back because there's nothing on the DT1 host that's echoing back. Ah. So it's being sending over and it's showing on the DT1, but the DT1 isn't doing the echo back that the terminal setup is expected. Okay. Anyway, for those people that have MC10s here, if you guys want to give us a quick shot test type thing just to see you know how it works type thing it'd be kind of cool he mentions that he tried a 300 and he said you could try it at different baud rates so it might support more color compact and micro color compact from what i remember correct me if i'm wrong <clears throat> i think it only supported 300 baud i don't think it went higher did it yeah, did I it go to 12 they were partly basic too the, they yeah. weren't like full assembly code Yeah, Tim Linder mentioned here in the chat, too. He said the microprocessor has an internal UART, no need for timers, the 6803. But is it not hooked up? Is that the problem? Correct. There's no port wiring, and there's nothing in the uh, ROM code that uses that internal UART function of the micro microcontroller. Okay, so that, that UART that's on there is not actually hooked up to the BitBanger port at all. Right. Saying. Uh, James D can give you about an hour and a half on on how all that works, and 
Uh, seriously, I admire his restraint, but um, buckle up on that one because he's got some opinions on on that. <laughs> it's kind of like having opinions about the dragon versus the uh, the Coco. The design. look of it, exactly. Some people. <laughs> so that was cool. And then the last story for the MC Ten here. This is kind of a cool one for me. <clears throat> so the Alice, the uh, French uh, clone, I guess uh, the red clone of the MC Ten. Of course, it was meant for a French market. So their software is usually written in, guess, you guessed it, French. So they had a thing called Découvre Alice. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, well, basically, it's Explore Your Alice, basically, type thing. And it was a program that required the uh, RAM upgrade, I'm pretty sure. But basically, it kind of took you through the pieces of the machine and how everything works and what you can do with it type of thing with little animations and sounds and songs and stuff. And Jim Gary took the time to convert it all from French to English. So now it works as far as the MC-10 goes because it's identical hardware. Now, it's a 13-minute long video. I probably am not going to play the whole thing, but I'll play it until you guys get tired of it. Um, but it's, it's it's pretty cool to see something that kind of teaches you not only what the machine's made of, but then actually gives you even some sample basic programs simulated on the screen that you can actually see how certain pieces of basic run, what the commands do. So it's kind of not just a, a display of what, it's capable of doing as a demo with a machine like they'd normally have in a store, but it actually was a little bit interactive with the person <laughs> running it. And you could actually learn a little bit of basic programming while you're at it, which I thought was a kind of unique thing. I didn't see that too often where it's kind of covering both of those duties in the same program. Asparagus has been called just point of order. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's from Ken though. So I don't care. Um, <laughs> I looked up my. Uh, down a bit. Go ahead, Ron. I looked up my picture of uh, the color compact, and it goes uh, twelve hundred baud. Oh, it does okay. I assume the micro color compact should have been the same. I think they went a little bit extra heavy on the sound here. <laughs> they probably needed to, but. Okay. Want to jump ahead a little? Oh, you want to learn what pieces are in the machine? <laughs> Not really. Not until I get one. I do like the fact they actually drew these little graphics to show like a tape recorder, a printer, a keyboard, the screen. Can I get the uh, soundtrack on the uh, MP3 store? <laughs> I hear they're explaining how the keyboard works, like well, what the uh, the control button does and, you know, and the shift type thing to get your symbols and you can get your... Uh, built-in commands and stuff. And then it starts explaining some of the commands like run or how to do it with a you know single set of key presses. And we, we have a warning about not searching for Alice 4K. And why is that? Uh, he doesn't go into detail. I think it's better, one of those questions better unanswered. Ah, okay. Just don't. <laughs> so here's one of they actually got it. So they've actually pseudo put up a basic code and the results from the basic code, even though it's running within this demo program to kind of show it. You actually have to type run yourself to to run it. So it's 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 like I said, it's a bit of a mini tutorial as well as a uh, a demo thing. Hmm. And it's cute. I, I did like it. Here's explaining. Actually did some pretty good animations here of some of the stuff like how uh, bytes work with the bit settings and stuff too. That's pretty interesting. And this is literally what's happening inside your Coco and your MC-10, just so you know. If you peer in with a magnifying glass, this is exactly what you'll see. 
makes those same noises too. Like there's a binary ad. Yeah, now we're going to get a copyright claim from Disney for recreating Trump. Here's how showing you how poke works and how it does not work with ROMs. There's a little animation of the guy trying to push a value into the ROM and it keeps rejecting it. <laughs> I thought that was cute. <laughs> the Nick's favorite VDG chip and how colors work. <laughs> spell colors. Here's all the connections on the on the back, so you know exactly which one plugs into what. Hmm. I think this is where they do the uh, explain how bits and a byte work. And translating it to ASCII, which actually was a discussion on Discord recently for somebody who's just learning assembly. And you both get a pixel demo. This is exactly how P-Mode 4 graphics work, actually, too, and how the bit patterns actually set it up, too. So I'll let you guys watch the rest of it, but I thought it was a very good demo, a uh, very good um, tutorial slash demo, I guess. And I don't remember seeing one that extensive on the real MC-10 here in, in North America at all. So once again, a little bit jealous about the Alice besides the color. And that is the end of the news today. You can all wake up now. So did good it, job, uh, Curtis. Come in Thanks. a pack with the RAM expander. Pardon me, Alan. Didn't the Alice come in a big kit with the RAM expander already? I think they did sell the original 4K version as well, but I think you could buy it with you know that suitcase that has all the. Yeah, so maybe areas. the demo was for that where they already knew it would have a RAM expansion. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Next up, uh, Rick, uh, project updates. Oh, I want to mention before you, Rick chose his, uh, Fred Provencia was going to try to come on to do a, an update on one of his projects. Uh, he texted me directly and said his bandwidth where he is is just not feasible for it, so he's going to do it next week. Anyway, go ahead, Rick. Sorry. And try it unmuted. Okay, I can unmute and uh, <laughs> is my screen up there? Uh, no, you're not yep. sharing yet. Oh, nope. I don't. I was for a was, moment. There it is. Just highlight me. Yeah, my camera is me. Oh, there okay. we go. I see it. I see some bodge wires. Yeah, when we left, last left, it was bodging this thing together, changing some of the PIA around, and it still didn't work. So the obvious solution: more bodge wires. <laughs> so, uh, really yeah so here's some more bodge wires <laughs> color coded this time which let me throw it into the cocoa and finally get it kind of doing what i want so the the backstory here is i want to uh put hardware and a rom on the same car so i need to send i need to strap cart to the q clock to auto start the rom but then I need to, I can't strap cart to the cube clock because then the network chip won't work. So I had to do this little dance. Um, so I seem to be done dancing, except now I don't get the ROM select that I expected to see. Obviously it's working because the latch comes up 
the uh, okay, so here we go. My latch comes up, it makes the cue go for as long as I want it to. The ROM signal does happen because it turns the latch off and stops the cue clock. So now I'm in network card mode. But it doesn't ever come out of the gal to start the ROM. So I am now head desking on. It exists because it's using it here, but it doesn't come out here. Why not? <laughs> I hope you're not asking me that because that's the wrong yeah. guy to ask. No, I'm just, I'm just, it, it obviously works, but it isn't working. So that's, that's where I'm at this week. Uh, oh yeah, here's the actual thing. Yeah, so my latch latches up like it's supposed to, and it shuts down when it's supposed to, and the key clock stops going, and nothing. And with that, the cat barfed. <laughs> oh, cool! <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm taking care of your cat. <laughs> are 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 we getting firsthand news coverage of that barf? Oh right, it's got a live you, on you location. Mark, quick, highlight Mark. Mark, Mark Mosley, I have a, a solution for you on that. You should not let your cat listen to Coco Talk because obviously it's causing it to puke every time it hears it. I uh, guess. Jeez. Hey, Rick. <laughs> Rick, do you actually buy bodge wire or does the wire become bodge wire? Oh, I have big a big box of different colors of wire so oh. I can I can bodge. <laughs> but is it Bodge brand Bodge wire? I think is what Ron right. is asking. Right. I'm wondering if it comes uh, that way. It's Kenyar wire. Right. Kynar? Kynar. Kynar, I think it's It begins with a K and there's a Y in it. Well, sometimes I use magnetic wire. It just depends on what I got on hand at the time. One of the times that Radio Shack went out of business, I actually got a whole bunch of basically uh, wire wrap wire, which is the 30 gauge. Oh, yeah. Actually, you need this stuff, the, ah. the genuine kind are because you can strip the insulation with the tip of your soldering iron, just drag it across the top of it. If you yeah. try to do this thing with very similar looking magnet wire, you can't get this enamel off to save your life unless you get out some sandpaper and start scraping. So, exacto <laughs> so, knife. Uh, Rick, one of the stuff I like using is um, Adafruit advertised a silicone coated wire which really? i like because you once you strip it the silicone doesn't shrink when you heat it up and it also doesn't melt because it's silicone so therefore it makes it really nice to get that very short piece of wire that you want you can tin it the insulation doesn't backfeed on you so oh, you can gotcha. get that nice perfect spot i have to play with that i've, I've got these working but i'm always looking for a little bit easier as you can see, I'd be making bodge wires. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And Brian's not here with us, so time for a segment of... Actually, I've got one quick update. Okay. Um, working on Nitro 90s View version 1.0.0 for release, hopefully by the end of the month. I uh, finally got all of the Jim Gary OS9 games that he supplied and one... A uh, utility program that Ron Devo will be very interested in because it's astronomy related. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And I, I got them all in there. I had to patch one or two of them, but basically, that's all. All the source codes can be included. They're also clickable icons. Launch them from the various things. I've got a list of them in the update docs. You guys will see. So there's about 15 programs, I think, in there. Some level one stuff, some level two stuff, some games, et cetera. So that'll be so, included on the upcoming release. What else that you're not including that Ron would be interested in? <laughs> Well, you'll have to wait and see until the next Jeff release. 
that requires a lot of patching. I know. Well, you said you're not going to put it in there, so. Yeah. No, I said, oh, we'll do it eventually, but I have to disassemble the whole darn thing and all of its sub-modules and stuff to fix it. It's kind of like trying to fix Flight Sim 2 or, or the Sierra games. It's not just the main, main program i got to fix. It's all the little sub-programs i got to fix, too. So that's oh, going to take man. a while. Okay. So eventually I will, because I do want to get right. it running. But it's uh, they did it some just, cheating that they shouldn't it, have done. It just seems like the most awesome thing to add to me, anyway. But who am I? You mean cheating like Cavewalker? Yeah. Yeah. It's Ron or Interbank or. Okay. Let's see. How about a segment of. Okay, that's all I have for you today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gordy. <laughs> you do have uh, wait, the actual garage really? door behind you. <laughs> yes, I do. And we're, you're actually in the garage. Yes. I'm streaming from the garage. <clears throat> all I want to show you is uh, a picture of um, this girl. Can you see her? Yep. yep. Taylor Swift. But you can't get tickets. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was no, the missus. No. Hey, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good for uh, 96 by um, 128. Yeah, it's the Coco BJ version, right? Yeah. Nice. That's about it. I don't really have anything much. Um, this is a game, Roger. Um, not a game. It's a, you know, um, Matrix thing. Yeah, it's the one we talked about last week. So you actually yeah. ran it and seen it running on your own machine. Yeah, and then um, Coco uh, VGA, you can change the colors. I made it blue, and uh, looks more like rain. And then uh, someone else came along. I forget who it was. Um, and he changed uh, a um, part of, part of the code, and I changed that, and it seems to run a little faster then. I uh, put my little screen on my uh, MC10 to make it look like a laptop. <laughs> It'll fold down like that DT terminal that uh, Terry was showing off earlier. Yeah, this little <laughs> piece of tape will do. <laughs> That's about it, guys. Nothing more. Um, just, you know, keep an eye out. you find stuff on there. And um, you can download okay. pictures, whatever. Have fun. Uh, you know, there's something that I'm doing that nobody else does in the whole Coco Kingdom is have software nearly every day that you can download, even if it's a dumb picture. <laughs> <laughs> See, I gather all mine in a big burst and I release like EOU and here's like 40 yeah. new programs. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and then Nick releases buggy ones, but anyway. <laughs> Ah, my check to see if he's awake worked. He's not. Well, that was Anybody else have any project updates or acquisitions? Or Not I. I know Terry's got an acquisition in progress, but it's not quite there yet. So we'll Not quite yet. <laughs> and I can't wait to see it. <laughs> Bring up eBay and well, show us the tracking. Wait. Oh, my. 
Okay. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I can't keep from laughing. Good, Mark. Uh, are we ready for the outro? I yes, think so. please. I think so, yes. This concludes another episode of Cobra Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T.com. The original Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Cocoa Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! For a caboose. <laughs> okay, Frank, put na- a coffin on it. Put a coffin on it. How about a nail in it? How about, How about a, okay, it a, a nail coffin. in it, and then put it in the coffin. How about that? <laughs> we're mixing our metaphors. Welcome to morbid talk. You're mixing, I think you're mixing your metaphors, David. Possible. Uh, well, that's kind of like mixing mixing my diet Dr Pepper water and rum. Yes, yeah, uh, I thought that was called New Year's Eve, <laughs> right? Or, or bathtub gin. You missed it. Sixty forty. A point and confusion. Where was uh, Weasler this week? Uh, uh, he was more stuff, probably. On, yeah, <laughs> he's he's renting a semi trailer truck and heading somewhere for another coke collection. I think, yeah, or something. I think he's hoarding or something. <laughs> <laughs> he, had had, he had to let Terry have his little moment in the sun. I think he's also very jealous that Terry got the uh, oh, egg vision really? and he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have no idea. But whenever somebody finds something like that, it's all it's it's in our group. It's available to yeah. us. I mean, if if Terry can bring it down to Cocoa Fest, we can actually see it in person. I'd love to see exactly what that blue shade looks like. I mean, like I said, I've right, never yeah. seen one of those in real life. I've seen Videotex gray terminals quite often over the years, but that's that's one I've never seen in real life. Thought about maybe taking it to, I think Lowe's or whatever has that color analyzer 
get an exact uh, color, color analysis. Yeah, because there's a few chips of it off on the curve there. You might be able to patch it up. So it's. Really I saw clean. that. <laughs> Is somebody going to clone one? Then uh, possibly. Well, I think uh, it's basically just the same as the gray one, just a different label and a different color um, for that specific submarket. I was thinking Tim. Tim thought the ROM was didn't it have a different. Well, just a different identifier because it was meant to be tied yeah. to the farmers versus, versus the general, you know, business person right, looking right. at the Dow Jones or whatever. Did it only have one ROM spot on the motherboard? I don't know. I guess I'm not sure either. Wouldn't we'll find out if it had two ROM spots, but only one put in. Harry would have to open it up and look at the motherboard to see. Man, I hope that wouldn't ruin the warranty. Um. <laughs> Um, what warranty? <laughs> does it have warranty? Does it have warranty stickers on the bottom? You know, I I don't know yet. I, I the picture didn't show the full case oh. on the bottom, so yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure oh. yet. Yeah, until he gets it into his greedy little hands. Uh, we won't, won't know. <laughs> Wouldn't it be something if you could pop out that uh, ROM and put a color basic in there? I don't think it'd work because some of the hardware is a bit different. Yeah. Like there's a built-in right. modem, for example, that Coco obviously doesn't have. Hmm. There's no joysticks. There's no cassette interface. But so I don't know if support chips for some of that. Is there even a salt chip in it? I have no idea. Well, there wouldn't be in the in a Coco one. But they would have oh, right. the equivalent, yeah, right. equivalent in op amps and stuff. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hey, so I guess that's it for today's show. We'll see y'all next week. And right, hopefully Terry you. will have his ag vision for display. That might be our head topic there. We'll dive deep dive into that sucker. I'd I'd also say happy Thanksgiving to the to the uh, I guess the uh, US people. Yeah. When's your guys' yes. uh, uh ours was last month. We, oh, we try well, to do it before we get snow. Because right now I've got like a foot of snow outside, so we we prefer not waiting up. Thank you. Belated happy here Thanksgiving. In there you no go. Snow here. <laughs> you have to go celebrate Thanksgiving on top of a mountain there, Ron, is what you got to do when there might yeah. be a bit of snow. It'd be like Mount Charleston in Vegas. <laughs> All right. All right, everyone. All Thank right. you for joining us this day on Coco Talk. We'll see you next weekend. Please come back. We'll see you then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Y'all next week. Here's the button, Frank. Bye from Croco Land.